Hey, everybody. Future Dave here, here to tell you that in the episode, Keith and I kind of lament the uh, general unavailability of Earthbound and Nintendo's refusal to bring it to modern platforms to allow people to actually play this game that, uh, you know, would stand to make them lots of money and stuff like that. Well, since we recorded this, Nintendo has decided to bring Earthbound to the uh, Switch Online Super Nintendo service. So if you're hearing this, you can go play that right now on the Nintendo Switch Online, provided that you want to pay for that service. So go ahead, enjoy that, and disregard any uh, comments we make in the episode about the unavailability uh, sadness of Earthbound. It's available now, kind of. You can't just buy it. So good old friendly neighborhood Nintendo. Got to pay for that online service if you want to hit things with a baseball bat. Okay, enjoy the episode. Hey everybody, my name's Dave Jackson and this is Tales from the Backlog, a video games podcast where I bring in guests to talk about the games we play. And my guest today is a friend of the show and uh, I usually know what the guests are enthusiasts about. So Keith, what's your favorite thing real quick that you wrote in the game? Was it was it cocaine? It might have been cocaine. Okay. I don't remember if that fit. Okay. Well, something we'll, we'll just say it fit. So my guest today is a friend of the show and cocaine enthusiast, host of the Main Quest podcast, <laughs> Keith Gasper. Hey, dude. <laughs> hey, man. How's it going? Thanks for having me on. I've been looking forward to this for quite a while now. Same. This is going to be good. I'm looking forward to it. And uh, yeah, all the uh, cocaine enthusiasm is going to come out in the in the chat here. <laughs> to, to say I've been anxious is an understatement, but that also might be the cocaine. Yeah, it might be. Yeah, that's one of the notable side <laughs> effects. <laughs> Today's game that we're going to talk about is Earthbound, which is a JRPG developed by Ape Incorporated and HAL Laboratory, first published in uh, Japan by Nintendo in 1994, with a North American release in 1995. The uh, elevator pitch for Earthbound, if you're listening and have never played Earthbound, I'm going to say it is an Americana-inspired JRPG about a boy with a baseball bat who needs to save the world. It's a long elevator. Sound right to you, Keith? Yeah, it's also famously uh, one of the only RPGs Shigeru Miyamoto ever finished. Ever finished? Yeah. I wonder how many RPGs he started. He did not like <laughs> RPGs. Yeah, I, I can tell that wasn't exactly like the uh, the pillar of you know Nintendo published stuff uh, right. back in the day or ever really. So, uh, but before we get into the, uh, the earthbound chat, a couple of things first. So the first thing is, uh, I really love the main quest podcast. And so could you tell, uh, my listeners just explain what is the main quest all about? So the main quest is my main quest to essentially replay all of my, I guess my life's catalog of video games starting from very early in my life. So I'm currently sitting on my catalog for the NES all the way through to like my early adulthood. Uh, I think my list stops at 
like 2011, roughly. Uh, okay. So it goes through the Xbox 360, uh, PlayStation 3, and the... Well, I can't really say the Wii. I didn't have a Wii, so just the 360 and the PlayStation 3. <laughs> so I'm, I'm essentially just reevaluating all of these very old games and just try to see if they still hold up today. See if I, on a personal level, still like them. And if it could, if I could possibly recommend them to, to anybody. Yeah. So I, so I've been listening to the main quest. I really enjoy it. And, uh, I, what I, what, one thing I really enjoy about the show is you're not just like, okay, I'm going to play super Mario, uh, brothers, and then I'm going to play Metroid and then I'm going to play you know, some other, you know, Zelda one and Zelda two. And then, okay, super Nintendo time. You're playing like all of these like weird ass NES games that I've never heard of. So like my question, I guess, is like, how did you remember all of these games that you, do you still have all of these games or like, how did you remember that you played fucking like the Mickey mouse mouse capades game or whatever? Yeah, it, it took a long, so the premise for the podcast actually started in 2016 mm-hmm. and the podcast started in 2020 uh like a lot of podcasts <laughs> and <Right>. so <laughs> like both um, of mine <laughs> it, and so it took four years to essentially make this list and it actually surprisingly wasn't that hard but it was a lot of just periodically a lot of just checking websites uh looking at like catalogs of box arts and just being like you know, when you look at something and you're just like, oh, yeah, I definitely remember seeing that at Blockbuster and like picking it up. It, yeah, it's a lot sure. of stuff that I'm playing that I even have just the briefest history with. Okay. Um, so if I did grab it from a, a rental store back in the day and maybe even just spent a day or two with it, I'm still going to count it, um, okay. which makes the list a lot larger. Um, some of the games are also, I guess, games that I didn't. I guess I shouldn't say I owned all of them. Some of them were probably games that I spent a lot of time with at a friend's house also playing. Mm -hmm. um, so in that way, I can kind of count it as being part of my life in a lot of ways. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and then also my brother, he's about nine years older than me. So when we had an NES, he was already like getting like allowances from my parents birthday presents, what have you. So there's always just, as long as I've been alive, there have been video games. Right. <laughs> so they've always just kind of been there. And obviously the older we got, you know, my brother got jobs before I did. Um, and so we were constantly getting new systems, new consoles. So it was a lot of just kind of him and I going back and forth, trying to figure out also like what was in the house. Mm -hmm. Um, there is stuff that he mentioned that I totally have no memory of. We actually had an Atari Jaguar. Okay. I don't remember having that at all. So I'm just <laughs> not going to count it because of just like we, we did and We had it for maybe like a month or two. So it wasn't right. very long. I think we traded in for a PlayStation, which was the better decision in the long run. But mm -hmm. <laughs> I don't know if I even answered your question, but no, yeah, totally. Like, cause, cause when I was like, ever since I started listening to your show, I started to think about like, you know, 
okay, so I my first game system was a Game Gear, but I don't remember all the games that I had for it. I just remember mm. playing this Power Rangers game forever, but I know it wasn't the only game I had. So I was just curious, like, how do you even remember? I mean, or maybe your memory is just not as shitty as mine is. I, you know, my brain cells are all burned out and stuff like that. So I think there's a term for like being able to remember stuff from your early because there's a lot of just really non-specific stuff that i remember mm-hmm. when i was very very young yeah and it doesn't even make sense for me to remember any of that stuff yeah for sure like, i don't, I don't remember know shit that... before i was like nine years old so <laughs> <laughs> so yeah i don't either that stuff was either really traumatic and had like a lasting impression on me but um yeah i don't i don't even know what we're talking about at this point anymore yeah. <laughs> But oh, I I wanted to just say like going back back to like the weird games that I do talk about. Yeah, that was one of the things that I really wanted to present with the podcast. I didn't just want to be the podcast, the retro gaming podcast that panders to a certain crowd where I'm only playing the hits. Right. Exactly. Because you never know. I mean, by the time this comes out, my episode on Wizards and Warriors comes out. Do you know what Wizards and Warriors is? Nope, never heard of it. It's a actually really decent 1987 game by Rare. Okay. And it's just one of those games where I think a lot of people who are really into retro gaming will be like, oh, wow, somebody put out an episode of Wizards and Warriors. Nobody talks about that game. In fact, it was very hard to find information on that game when I tried to do the deep dive into the development. Mm-hmm. And it's, that's kind of what I'm looking for. Like, I don't, I could easily put out a Super Mario Brothers episode, which I did do. And that can just get lost in all the noise of everybody else talking about Super Mario Brothers. Right. Games like those, games like we're going to talk about today, Earthbound, have been talked to, talked about to death. And it's like, what, if anything, can I even bring new to the table? It's so much easier to talk about a game that's, not being talked about yeah and like i would say once a month or at least once every other month you have a game on your show that i have literally never heard of like never heard anyone even mention in conversation so those are always cool to uh to hear what some of these games are about and to hear your opinions on them because uh as with i don't know um I've made my opinions clear from time to time that I think a lot of old games are either bad or not very (laughs) fun at the very least. So like I, I salute you for going through some of these games that end up just being really fucking terrible, but it's, I really enjoy listening to you kind of tear them apart when they are really bad. And I do want to add to that. It's not only retro that like 90% of the show is retro games, but every once in a while, periodically I will cover more, modern games so i've covered like horizon zero dawn the returnal. last of Us part two returnal yeah. um stuff like that so i do cover modern games from time to time yeah and those are also really good so everybody um, listening to this show go check out the main quest podcast there's going to be links in the show notes uh for that it is a a good time i really enjoy that show thank you Before we get into talking about Earthbound, the other thing that we need to talk about is the other games that we've been playing recently. So, Keith, other than catching up on Earthbound, what have you been playing? Um, uh, I guess I can talk about Resident Evil 7. Because for those of 
you who aren't familiar with my podcast, I'm doing a separate series on the Resident Evil, the mainline Resident Evil games, the story. I'm just going through the story and the lore. Mm-hmm. I don't ever really talk about the gameplay unless it's necessary. <laughs> and okay. So I, I've lost part of my brain is non-functioning having played all of these games. It's been, I started a year ago and I have played eight games so far. I have one more to go. <laughs> I played zero through seven and I have forgot how to do long division at this point because yeah. <laughs> it's just replaced with resident evil <laughs> story and lore, not even gameplay. You're getting into like the totally weird shit, uh, from the series story and lore yeah. of resident evil. I'm not proud of myself, but also like, man, it's been a journey. Um, but yeah, man, Resident. So after playing Resident Evil Six, I went straight to Resident Evil Seven, and I don't know if you've seen my stuff on like Instagram or Twitter about me just bashing Resident Evil Six. It was the game I had to take a break from. I took like a two month break from playing <laughs> those games because I thought I was I thought I was all Resident Evil'd out after uh-huh. playing them consecutively. And I came back to Resident Evil 6 after a break, and I was like, no, I wasn't Resident evil out. I just really hate this game. Mm-hmm. Resident, evil su- Resident Evil 6 sucks. It's really bad. <laughs> Keep in mind, like, I haven't played any of the Resident Evils. So going straight from 6 to 7 was like having whiplash because 7 is so different from 6. It is... All intents and purposes, a horror game. It goes right. back to kind of the old tropes of the first like three games or so. And man, I, I mean, I know you don't really like scary games. I don't. <laughs> I love scary games. Yeah. But this was like, this was too much. This was, this was too much. It was a lot of sweaty palms and a lot of me just. So, for instance, uh, this isn't really a spoiler. It happens pretty early in the game, but there's right. a guy following you around the house. And I was literally like, he was searching for me. I could hear him walking around the house and he's looking for me. And I'm just sitting in the corner of a room, like backed up against the wall with like the handgun pointed at the door, <laughs> <laughs> waiting for him to walk in. And I must have sat there for maybe like, five minutes doing nothing just waiting for him because i was just terrified to walk out of the room (laughs) oh man i like sometime so like you're right i don't like scary games i don't play very many scary games sometimes i'll get like i'll play a game that is kind of scary but it doesn't you know like bloodborne is scary for some people bloodborne doesn't scare me um it's just very different or like i played soma i talked about soma on the show um so after doing one of those games i'll start to get this idea like hey you should you know play one of these other like acclaimed scary games um you might be missing something that's my my thing it's always like fomo you might be missing something so i checked out a let's play or of uh resident evil 7 i watched like five minutes of it i was like i am never fucking playing that game absolutely the fuck not never but Um, i i generally (laughs) play my games at night so it's like i'm like i totally immerse myself i'll turn off the lights i usually play games with headphones on and the sound design (laughs) in that game is incredible it's so good 
Yeah, it's I one bet. of the things that just makes it extremely terrifying. There's a lot of man, it's so different from Resident Evil Six. There's just a lot of silence in the game, which just makes it that much more unsettling. Uh, it's great. You were like the only person that I know who has ever talked about Resident Evil Six. It's like <laughs> there's a reason for that. <laughs> yeah, I know. So, like, as someone who's not a fan of the series, I've never played a Resident Evil game. Um, it's really like if if I if I didn't have like the logic of knowing that obviously there must be a game between Resident Evil Five, which people say is like really weird but good in a weird way, you know, and then yeah. Resident Evil Seven, which people say is like actually really good. If I didn't know that, like logically, there must be a sixth game in there, I would have just assumed that there wasn't. Like they just skipped from five to seven for some reason because no one ever talks about it. <laughs> it's Call of Duty. Resident Evil 6 is literally just a Call of Duty game. Okay. Where there's a zombie T-Rex running around China knocking buildings over <laughs> and you're crashing jet fighter planes into tiny Asian women like <laughs> Oh man. You're you're making actually a really good sell for Resident Evil 6 right now. That sounds pretty fun. That's what I hear every time <laughs> every time I bring that game up and I'm like this is why it sucks. Everybody's like Man, it sounds like I should really play that game. And I'm like, yeah. you don't want to. It's it yeah, sounds, I know. It's, it, it probably sounds way better than it actually is. Yeah, on paper, it sounds great. But <laughs> no. So what have you been playing, man? Oh, man. So like, this is hard because I'm only playing stuff for the show uh, right now. I'm playing the new Pokemon game. There will be an episode about that coming up at some point in the future. I'm recording that uh, in the future. And uh, that game rules, by the way. It's amazing. And um, Yakuza Like a Dragon, which uh, will also be an episode of the show. So I don't want to get into my thoughts, but I am playing those. There's a sneak peek of like what's coming up later on the show. <laughs> that's that's the life, though. That's why I'm like, I can't really say what I'm playing for the yeah. most part, or at least talk about it. That's why like half the time during this opening discussion, I don't give any games that I'm playing because everything I'm playing is probably going to end up on the show at some point. Yeah, every time I, I start a monologue at the beginning of my episodes, like, what do I address? What do I talk about? Because most often, more often than not, it's not a video game because playing games for the show. So it's, yeah, exactly. The episode's coming. <laughs> <laughs> and if uh, if... If I play a game and I like it enough to like play it to the end, I'm going to do an episode of the show about it. That's how the show works. Um, and if I play it, I don't know, I, like really? I talked about Final Fantasy 15 on a podcast a long time ago. And I was like, um, yeah, I like it. I'm a few hours in. I'm going to keep playing. And then I uh, played a couple more hours and decided that that game's horrible. So it's, it's not <laughs> going to be an episode of the show unless I want to do an episode and just talk about how the first 10 hours go or something like that. Are you one of those guys that, I don't know, reads a review online or something and it matters to you if that person finished the game or not to review it? Uh, no, absolutely not. Okay. Especially if it's a long game. Because I feel like 10 hours into Final Fantasy 15 is pretty well past the mark where you can make a solid opinion about it yeah i was gonna say it's it's i don't think it's far enough into the game where you can like fully comment on the game as a whole you know if you play 10 hours of slay the spire you can probably comment on slay the spire you know but uh yeah. i think 10 hours of final fantasy 15 is long enough to make my own opinion about whether it's a a fun game or not i don't know man <laughs> 
Because if it takes longer than 10 hours for somebody to get into a video game, that's pretty bad. Yeah. And I will say this too. I'm guilty of this too, where I say like, you know, Xenoblade Chronicles 2 gets really good like 35 hours into the game. you got to <laughs> trust me. <laughs> no, thank you. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And I understand. I, I totally get that. If people hear that and they're like, okay, I'm not playing that. I get it. But it does. It gets really good 35 hours into the game. <laughs> and 75 hours? Holy shit, Keith. <laughs> I'll take your word for that. All right. Let's uh let's get into Earthbound. I think it's time. Awesome. Yeah. Right, so we begin by first of all issuing a um, a declaration that there will be a spoiler section at the end of the podcast. So if you haven't played Earthbound, you can still listen to the episode all the way until we get to that spoiler wall. We will make it very clear when it's spoiler time. So until then, you can listen uh, with a uh, a relaxed heart. We also begin the show by talking about our histories with Earthbound. And talking about our histories with maybe with the Mother series, if you've played other games uh, in the series. So the guest always goes first. Uh, Keith, when did you first play Earthbound? Can you remember, like, what is it that made you want to play it? Are you ready? Are you ready for this? Um, Because this is my chance. This is going to be just the next half hour of me talking like a total hipster. Okay. So as far as Earthbound goes, I... I don't think I played it exactly when it came out. It might have been like the year after or something. So I want to say 1995 uh, because I know I played this side by side with Super Mario RPG. And so with that in mind, that was a hell of a year. (laughs) That was a hell of a year for me. I don't Mm -hmm. know if you played Super Mario RPG or not, but... Not as a kid, no. So I I played this pretty close to release, I would say. And... Every time I went to my grandma's house, I essentially begged my parents to let me go to Toys R Us because it was so close to where she lived. Mm -hmm. And so the day I got Earthbound was one of those days that we ended up going. I'm not exactly sure, but I think I got like Earthbound as maybe like a birthday gift because there's just no way that my parents would have spent that much money for a video game on me Mm -hmm. because i think back then earthbound was like 80 dollars, which like with inflation is probably like around 120 dollars right yeah so 775 (laughs) dollars because yeah i mean people think games are expensive now but some of those cartridges were really expensive to produce back then and some of them used special chipsets and everything and all different boards so a lot of JRPGs, because they were so large and needed special boards put inside the cartridges, they were much more expensive than something like F-Zero or Super Mario World or something like that. Mm-hmm. But anyway, um, I don't think I knew what Earthbound was when I saw it at Toys R Us, if I'm going to be honest. I saw the box, and it was just like this 
big, gigantic SNES box. It had like this giant golden dildo looking thing on the front of it. Uh huh. And <laughs> the box was like, I mean, the box is like three times the size of a regular NES or Super NES box. <laughs> and so in my mind, in my child brain, I was like, oh, this game has to be awesome. Like, there's no way that this game isn't going to be good. <laughs> yeah, big, better games get bigger boxes. Everybody knows that. Exactly, right. I'm like, there's nothing else makes sense except to get this game. Um, and so, yeah, they got it. I remember opening the box, like, immediately, like, in the car, even though I was, like, several hours away from playing it. <laughs> and, you know, talking about that large box. Yeah, I was, I remember being disappointed not pulling out this giant gray piece <laughs> of plastic that would somehow fit in my Super Nintendo. <laughs> but um, instead, what came with it, which was, I guess, even bigger surprise, because um, there's a lot of people, a lot of people might not realize this, but video games used to come with these little books made of paper uh, called manuals. Mm -hmm. And instead of a manual, Earthbound came with like a full size player's guide. So mm. it was that thing is so awesome. I I dare you to find me a player's guide that's cooler than the Earthbound player's guide. It was so stylized. It was made to essentially look like a travel brochure. And it came with like all this original artwork. I don't know if you might have seen a lot of the artwork for this game where it just kind of looks like these like these clay, these 3D clay models. Mm -hmm. are you familiar with that i'm yeah, looking so at pictures right now yeah yeah so that's where all that came from it's just something about that guide is just so very distinct and on top of that the entire box when you open it because the player's guide was in there and it came with the scratch and sniff stickers that entire box just smelled like shit it smelled <laughs> so bad it, because the the I don't know if you know, but the Scratch and Sniff Snickers stickers were part of the marketing for this game. Oh, really? Which did not go over very well for Nintendo at all, because they were very much in their um, Play It Loud era, the Ren and Stimpy, you know, gross-out humor era, and I think the marketing slogan for Earthbound was, This game stinks. And so... I think a lot of people took it at yeah. face value and was <laughs> that's like, a oh, real, well, this is probably a, a bad game. a real galaxy brain marketing thing there. <laughs> yeah. So that aside, yeah, I mean, the game certainly did stink because it was sitting with these scratch and sniff stickers for God knows how long since it came off the production line. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and I swear that, that cartridge-like, if you put your nose up to it like now, it would probably still just smell like this weird, like, combination of old shoes and a shit stain or something like it was it those scratches of stickers were putrid mm -hmm. I, I don't know what they were thinking <laughs> but uh as far as i guess like going back to the guide like i read that guide probably more than i actually played the game just because again it just was not it didn't look like a regular player's guide it didn't look like a regular walkthrough um, even something that you would get off of like IGN or something today. Like they, they took so much care in exploring the lore of like not only the entire game, but like each town that you visit. 
and expanding the landmarks. They elaborated on the story. Like every time you would reach a new area in, in the guidebook or yeah, in the guidebook, it was presented as like a newspaper clipping and mm-hmm. it would just like have these little bits of detail that aren't actually like in the game. Ooh, but cool. like when you read it, it, it somehow made sense. And then when you went to go play the game, it was like, I don't know. It just, we're going to talk about it with the story and characters and stuff like that, but it just made everything just seem so much more real, so much more elaborate, I guess. So mm-hmm. as far as the game goes itself, like, I mean, I played it like crazy. Um, at the time I had a friend who was like very heavily into JRPGs and between the both of us, we were kind of both dragging each other to one another's house and like just showing each other like our current JRPG addiction, mm-hmm. whether it may be like Secret of Evermore or like Brave Fencer Musashi Saga Pokemon. We, we got each other into that. We would just come into each other's house, pop in the cartridge or disc or whatever, and just basically lose our fucking minds. Uh, but Earthbound was like special because unlike those other games, this was like one of the J, like I did never shared like JRPGs like with my other friends who played video games because I knew that wasn't their jam. Mm-hmm. But for some reason, Earthbound was like the one game where I was like telling everybody, I'm like, you guys should play this. You guys should come, come over, check it out or whatever. Let me come over, check it out. Um, one of those people was my cousin, and this is kind of where I'm going to end my rant a little bit. And, um, he had a SNES, but he didn't have like a lot of games for it. Uh, save for like Super Mario World and like just the basic stuff. He probably had like F-Zero or whatever. Um, his family is like incredibly strict. So I'm even surprised that he had a console at all. Mm -hmm. So when it came to video games, like when we came over, and we were going to play video games. We had like 20 minutes to play and that was pretty much it. So you bring over a game like Earthbound and 20 minutes isn't really going to get you anywhere. Right. <laughs> and I told him, I left it at his house and I was like, you have to see this through. And he liked it. He he did like it. And I'm like, you got to see this through. You have to play this whenever you can. <laughs> and that was the last time I saw that cartridge. I actually... To this day, I don't know if he beat it or not. He's still playing it. He's playing it 20 minutes <laughs> twenty minutes at a time once a week. He's probably still playing. <laughs> That's going to be very true. <laughs> it's honestly like one of the worst mistakes I ever made in my life because yeah. <laughs> consider you look at how much Earthbound is going for now. Mm-hmm. It's one of those things where I'm just like, I should have gotten that back from him at some point. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Or I should have never given that shit away. Like, if yeah. I could, people ask you, Keith, what advice would you give to your younger self? You're like, you know, fuck buying Bitcoin, fuck, you know, like not talking to this girl. <laughs> don't lend Earthbound to your cousin. Just don't do it. Even if he cries, just say no. <laughs> you can't borrow it. Sorry. Oh, <laughs> uh, what's that guy's? What's that guy's name who made the the chain out of a Pokemon card? Oh, um, I don't know. <laughs> the you the YouTuber, the boxer, what's his name? Oh, one of the Paul Paul brothers. Yeah, one of the Paul brothers, yeah. He he made this giant chain and it had a holographic Charizard. And I that's what I would have done with Earthbound. I would have turned it into a chain and wore it around. Because <laughs> it's worth so much fucking money. Oh <laughs> um, uh, that's yeah, that's 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 my flex, but I fast forward like real quick, so like color be surprised, right? When it's like 
the very early 2000s and I play Smash Brothers. Right. And I see Ness. And I'm like, I feel like I'm the only person in the entire world who's like, holy shit, like, somebody remembered. Somebody at Nintendo knows what Earthbound is. What the hell is this? Like, yeah. wow. And then, like, I don't know, it dawns on you and you're just like, oh, yeah, Hal made Super Smash Brothers. Like, of course. Right. <laughs> I was on the other end of that. So, like, I played Super Smash Brothers long before I knew what Earthbound was. So, like, I got, you know, I was just like, who the fuck is this kid with the PK fire and the baseball bat and all of that? I was like, you know, Ness is really good in Super Smash Brothers. So I was kind of, I was always curious about, like, what game he came from, but... I I think I looked it up and it was like, oh, Earthbound, it's a Super Nintendo game that you'll never find. So, okay, I'll never play that. Um, and then, you know, later on, um, when I discovered emulators, I actually played Mother 3 a few times, uh, or like started it a few times. Have you ever played Mother 3? I have never finished it. Um, yeah. Because I, I played it on, I think I talked about this on my show before, I played it on a very shitty phone emulator yeah me too which is not the best way to play that game right so there's some game mechanics in mother 3 that don't work uh on that shitty phone emulator that i played it on uh, probably the same as you so i so i played a little bit of that but i had never played earthbound um because when i was a kid i didn't have a super nintendo none of my friends had earthbound and uh yeah like it as we know it never got re-released on you know Game Boy Advance, like a lot of other Super Nintendo RPGs got re-released on DS or Game Boy Advance or something like that. Earthbound never did. Uh, same with that Switch, you know, SNES online thing. No Earthbound. Uh, so what actually did it for me was uh, I got a 3DS uh, that has been hacked. and has all the emulators and stuff on it. So I was finally able to play it handheld, which is how I prefer to play all long JRPGs as to play handheld. I... If without, I would never play through all of Earthbound on my computer. It's just the way that I, I just can't do that. You know, emulated games on my computer doesn't fit with my like gamer demographic or whatever. No, yeah, I can't do that either. I I have to play it on the hardware, which is like I have it, but it's all hacked. Like kind of like what you said. Yeah. So I like I don't know. Uh, all of my Super Nintendo. Uh, emulation in the past has been very like Final Fantasy VI focused. I've emulated Final Fantasy VI like 25 times throughout my life. Um, but like I was still always interested in playing Earthbound because uh, people say it's good. It's one of those hipster games, as you said, um, that like, you know, some of my friends that are hipsters will be like, yeah, I played Earthbound. What's up? You know, <laughs> like I played it in 1996. Um, I was going to say, but did they play it in the 90s and yeah, not in exactly. 2006 when it started popping off again? That's the uh, that's the hipster move. But I was always interested in trying it. So like, I when I got that, um, that 3DS with the emulator on it, I was like, okay, now I can play it with save states. I can play it portable. I can play it, you know, when I'm on the subway or something like that. So that really helped me get like that push to uh, play it. And then um, when you and I were talking about what games to play, I was kind of listing like some games I had on like the short list and you said Earthbound. And I was like, okay, this is the time, Dave, 
play Earthbound because you <laughs> and I have been talking about doing this episode for quite some time now. So yeah, um, yeah, I, and I've been anxious about it because I know you don't like anything that came out prior to 2010. So <laughs> that's uh, like, that's you're you're off by a few years, but you're not. You're not lying. I I am uh, I am not a fan of a lot of old games. Uh, so we'll get into Earthbound and we'll see uh, what I think about this. For anyone listening, if you're kind of curious about how long Earthbound is, if you're thinking about playing it and you know curious, uh, my game took me 26 hours to play and beat. Um, however, that is for sure aided by the fact that I had save states. And if I died in a boss battle, I would just reload a save state and not go all the way back to wherever the fuck your checkpoint is at that particular part in the game. So it will probably take you longer if you play it on a Super Nintendo. Um, but yeah, I suggest you play it emulated because who the fuck has the Super Nintendo cart anymore anyway? So Unless you're somebody on eBay. Yeah. But yeah, no, that sounds about right. I, this is one of those games that you could spend like at least a, a solid 40 hours with yeah i definitely can see that uh, normally this is i also played with a guide i'll just get that out uh out in front there's a fantastic guide on i think it's called starman.net uh it is an amazing uh kind of like like retro internet looking guide it's really good uh, i played with that uh, i play a lot of games with guides which i mean to go back to my point you shouldn't be ashamed about that because the game was sold with a guide. Yeah, I'm yeah, I'm I'm not ashamed of playing any games with guides. I play Dark Souls games with guides and, you know, a lot of the joy for a lot of people is like bumbling around in those games. It's just not like what I find fun in a lot of games, so I play a lot of games with guides. But you're mm. right, especially the old ones uh that came with manuals or like full-size players guides like you were talking about. Yeah. Whatever's going to help you have fun and enjoy the game, do it that way. And so I did that, and that also cut down some uh, hours off of my playtime, I'm sure, because uh, I knew exactly where I needed to go next all the time. So let's uh, get into the basics of Earthbound and uh, kind of what makes Earthbound uh, special. The uh, story setup in Earthbound uh, is you you play as Ness, uh, who again Ness is the famous uh, PK fire spam boy from Super Smash Brothers, who wakes up in the middle of the night uh, because a meteorite has struck his hometown uh, in the country of Eagle Land, and this is your first um, clue about the American influences in the game, and I will I'll talk about those in a little bit. The entire continent of Eagle Land is actually an eagle. Is it? It's shaped like an eagle. It is fucking American. That's uh, that's more American than anything else I've ever heard. So the setting of Eagle Land is a kind of like we said, it's a real world setting, unlike a lot of uh, JRPGs or RPGs in general, where, you know, this is not Final Fantasy fantasy setting. This is, you know, it has towns and houses that look like, you know, what we'd imagine our own um, cities and stuff to look like, especially the big cities in the game. The uh the and the whole game is kind of modeled after this like United States and just like Western culture in general. And I guess I'll get this I'll get my opinion on this out uh later. Uh I was shitting on Final Fantasy fifteen earlier in the podcast. Final Fantasy fifteen also goes for this like Americana 
road trip aesthetic and i think it's horrible in final fantasy 15 it's it does not feel like they have ever met an american person or been to the united states or even watched a youtube video that took place in the united states in earthbound though it feels very uh it it feels like people have spent extended time in the united states or they're extremely familiar with what the u.s is actually like while at the same time making it caricatured and and funny and you know satirical in some ways Uh, i think that this like americana and western like theming of earthbound is really really good i think it works really really well um i love it and just one more time final fantasy 15 failed miserably (laughs) at that and i'll take every chance to shit on that game i get Uh, but earthbound really nails it i love it. it and it's not only in the setting which they do a very good job at nailing but it's also in the dialogue and i was for the months leading up to recording this episode, I was dying to get my hands on Clyde Mandolin's Legends of Localization book on on this game specifically, mm-hmm. but uh, it has been sold out for forever. So, fan gamer, get your shit together. Let's, <laughs> let's go. Let's make this happen. We have. I have a lot of pull in the industry. We'll make it happen. <laughs> so, yeah, I've been I've been trying to get a hold of that and. So a lot of that, you know, slice of American pie comes down to just how good the localization of this game is. And a lot of retro, again, I I think you probably got one of the best people to talk about a retro game with you. A lot of retro games were terribly localized. I mean, Final Fantasy VI sucks. Final Fantasy VII famously sucks. It's, Mm -hmm. and a lot of this comes down to just the, the localizers not having a lot of time to do uh, an entire game in, especially a JRPG. Get the fuck out of here. So, I don't remember who localized Earthbound off the top of my head, but I know that, you know, Hal and Ape and the toy basically were just like, we trust you on this. You know, kind of do whatever you want as long as it makes sense in the context of what's happening, uh, what's what you see is happening. And so that's very much where it gets its very American flavor because essentially an American translated it. I mean, a lot of Americans translate it, but it's very much like <laughs> in the context of an American, like he had free liberty to just kind of interpret the script as whatever he kind of wanted it to be, if mm-hmm. that makes any sense. Yeah, for sure. And it's like the American kind of influences go into, yeah, like you said, dialogue, like kind of plot, like there are specific plot events that happen throughout the game that feel very American to me. There's, you know, it's like religious cults and uh, they feel like things that you've seen in the news from the United States. Um, There's, and and just like little details, like, uh, you know, you heal by getting very american food pizza hamburgers and stuff like that yeah it's yeah. uh very i i don't i don't want to say that these things are exclusively american but you know like all the whole package you know eating pizza hamburgers nest carries a baseball bat you get you know yo-yos and stuff like that it's very the whole package is just very very american and once again it's it's very it's really good and it's charming as opposed to final fantasy 15s <laughs> <laughs> well howdy 
I reckon you ought to go find a chocobo, which is just what like, the fuck? you know, not that I'm like going to get mad if people like misrepresent the great country of the United States, because that's not really like something that I care about, but you got to make it cool and charming and good and not just like this, you know, extremely caricaturized bullshit like uh, some other game yeah. that I've mentioned 60 times already. And I, I'm not going to mention it anymore in the episode. You guys are lucky I'm not comparing it to Dark Souls, but... <laughs> you know, if you could somehow make that comparison to this game... That's my challenge. I... I... <laughs> it's yeah, my man, challenge for the rest all of the, the episode. In the world. Yeah, I think a lot, of, a lot of that stuff, the Americana is... There's a lot of that stuff already baked in, which I'm sure only helped with the localization. Stuff like Broadway shows and, like you said, the hamburgers and yeah, even tons of movie references, American right. movie references and stuff like that. Exactly. Yeah. So the story itself starts out with uh, Ness uh, going out to investigate that meteor strike with his, uh, I'm doing air quotes here, his friend Pokey, uh, who is the worst from the beginning. Um but it's very funny. Uh, his dog um, named King, and I'm using canon names here. You can name the characters whatever you want. And at the beginning, they'll also ask you what your favorite thing is. Um, and I think they'll also ask you what your favorite food is, or maybe those are the same question. Um, but they'll ask you to name the characters and then they'll ask you a few questions. And uh, you might be tempted to uh, say like, huh, my favorite thing's pussy. Uh, but that will come back to bite you in a Cocaine. bad way later in the story, I think. Uh, there's one specific moment where uh, I would have felt very gross if I had named, if I had said my favorite thing was pussy at the beginning. Uh, so, <laughs> You mean you don't want your mom calling you and be like, why don't you come home for some pussy? Exactly, yeah. I would have been like, oh. Well, I mean, mom says I have to. I guess I have to. <laughs> uh so anyway you're going out you find out that uh you need to collect these eight melodies uh from these like magical sites around the world and you need to stop the cosmic um chaos embodiment of uh gigas i'm going to pronounce it gigas 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 keith what what do you got i've always said gigas and i've heard okay. gigas so God damn it there we go it's always with know, these old right? these old jrpgs do you say you know do you say Titus or Titus? Do you say, uh, yeah, Titus, Celis or Sel- or Celis or whatever? Did you ever did you ever hear my Aerith problem when I was younger? No. Nope. So until there was well, okay. So played Final Fantasy VII when it came out, right? And it famously because the localization was terrible in that game. Uh, her name, the flower girl, was spelled A E R I S. Right. So naturally, I was like, it's Ares. And so oh. me and my friend always just called her Ares. Mm-hmm. And then as the internet got popular, people were like, oh, it's really Aerith or Eris. And so a lot of people called her either Eris or Aerith. And I used to think that these type of people probably should not have an opinion on the internet. But turns out I was the wrong one <laughs> all along. Now that voice acting is a thing and localization is pretty much perfect at this point and so i just it's very hard for me to accept that her name is Aerith, but whatever yeah it's a (laughs) it's a tough bill to swallow when you find out you've been wrong the whole time (laughs) (laughs) 
you are uh, joined by your party members in the game, uh, the ones that you name at the beginning, but their canonical names are Paula, Jeff, and uh, the one who drew the short <laughs> stick, whose name is Pooh. Um, yeah. So uh, supposedly the party members were all supposed to have uh, Beatles names or Beatles inspired names as a story I heard. I don't know if you can confirm or deny, but only Paula survived uh, the potential copyright uh, claim there. Just a story I heard. I never heard of that. I did hear about the music. Okay. Um, I don't know if we're going to talk about that later. I feel like that's something everybody knows about this game, but. It's not something I knew, so save save that for later. We'll uh, we'll okay. get into talking about music. And uh, yeah, so you are on this mission to go to these eight places, collect these eight melodies with uh, your party members, uh, Paula, Jeff, and Pooh, who are doled out very uh, spread out throughout the game. You'll get them at, I feel like you get them at basically like the quarter marks of the game. So like a quarter of the way through the game, you'll get your first party member and then you get them slowly. It's not like uh, not like I feel putting like you the get band. Paula pretty early. It's it's pretty. You you go through a couple of towns though before you get Paula, and then it's like a couple more towns. I feel like before you get Jeff. Yeah, I know Jeff. Jeff and Pooh take take a while, but yeah, you you go through a few towns by yourself as Ness. Maybe I've just played this game so much that it's just quicker for me. Maybe. Yeah, this is it was part of my frustration early in the game when you only have Ness and I think that's when the game is at its most difficult is when it's just mm-hmm. Ness in the party. There's a couple times when you're on your own with each of the characters. Yeah. Not so much Paula, but I know there's a time you spend with just Jeff and just Pooh. Yeah, exactly. I guess the part with Jeff I thought was pretty easy, but most the other two, the parts where you just have one character it gets tough, but we'll talk about that when we get into the um, kind of talking about the the combat mostly, I guess. Uh, one mm-hmm. thing I want to note is that I played with a guide, but if you're playing this game without a guide, there is like a there are a couple systems in the game that will help you find out where to go next. Uh, so it's not like a an old game where you have zero direction whatsoever, or a new game where you have zero direction. Uh, there's a in each town, there is a house uh, or a booth where you can pay to get a hint where he'll just straight up tell you where to go, basically. And a lot of times, like the characters in the story, and this is one thing that is kind of interesting about like the writing and stuff, the characters in the story will often say very meta things or just straight up tell you where to go. They'll say like, you need to go here. Uh, I'm not sure why, but you'll need to go to this city now. Um you know, Gigas will hate it if you go to this city right now. So you always kind of have a good idea of what direction you need to go in. Or if you are lost, you just go pay like a few bucks to the hint kid. Yeah. I will say that this, uh, for a JRPG in a very relatively early JRPG, it's pretty linear. It isn't too bad. There's some backtracking, uh, that you have to do. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think like you said, like it's, it's made pretty clear exactly where you have to go, so it isn't it isn't too bad. I do just want to go back to what when you were talking about the menu screen when you start the game, mm-hmm. and right off the bat, man, I'm gonna gush a little bit here, but it's like right off the bat, you know, you're introduced to that weird uh, screen where it kind of looks like you're you're watching like an alien invasion on TV, mm-hmm. and then it brings in the text from 
Earthbound logo or whatever, and the music starts playing. And immediately, as soon as you kick into like hitting new game, it has its own music. It's a colorful screen. The characters kind of do like a roll call, like come in, do their own little animations and stuff, Mm -hmm. uh, which is just in the context of 1994, like nobody was doing that. It was always just a black screen with a text box and you're just entering in your name and that's it. It's little things like that that are just like spread out throughout this entire game where it's just like, this is something special, you know, no, it's, it's stuff like that that makes this game to me hold up much better than something like Dragon Quest five or something, you know? Yeah. That intro screen is, is really good. Um, you can, like they give you a lot of options too. Like you can name all the characters, you can set like a color palette for the menus and stuff throughout the game, which is, you know, in the grand scheme of things, it's not going to really change your experience a whole lot, but like they, they are, I don't know. It's just kind of adds to like the charm of the game. And also do that menu. You brought up the music. Let's just talk about the music in the game now uh, a little bit. Earthbound has some of the most diverse, like, it has some songs that sound like, you know, RPG-type music, and you know some of the songs already if you played Super Smash Brothers, but the stuff that's not in Super Smash Brothers is some of the weirdest fucking music I've ever heard, especially in, like, a Super Nintendo game. Like, I've played a lot of, you know, like, uh, Returnal. Returnal has a weird soundscape and soundtrack, but it's mm-hmm. it's this weird, you know, sci-fi horror type game. Earthbound is a an RPG set in a very familiar setting to all of us, but the music is so goddamn weird in a lot of places. It's like atonal sometimes. It's got all these weird boops and beeps and you're going to hear the music interspersed throughout the uh the episode here. But it's like the battle theme is it's not this like bombastic JRPG battle music. It's this very you know, and it's always different depending on who you're fighting too. Yeah, like if you're fighting one of the UFOs or like the robots or something, it's like this really weird like droning techno song. And like at some point, <laughs> at some point, like within like the first forty seconds of the song playing, it stops for a second, and you think like, oh, it's, it's about to go into like another loop or something like that. But then it totally just changes up and is something completely different from what it originally sound started sounding like i i don't know i just keep thinking like i saw you know a uh, uh, a meme here we go everybody i'm about to explain a meme but it was like you know <laughs> it was like uh on one side you have all of the other rpgs that we think of that have like this you know i i personally i love jrpg music i love you know final fantasy chrono trigger has great music um you know on and on and on through the years and then it's like all these other games on one side and then over here all by itself is whatever the fuck Earthbound's music is, which is it's so unique compared to like seriously any other game I've ever played. And like 
there's there are several times throughout the game when I was playing and I would legit like start laughing because of how ridiculous the soundtrack is. Like they they made no effort to make it fit the specific place in a way that a lot of games do. You know, like I'm specifically thinking of the desert song right now when the bus so uh, good. when the bus is blocked from going through the tunnel and you have to go yeah. walk out in the desert. would ever make a desert song that sounds like that you know we have an idea of what you know an ice level music sounds like in our head now and we have an idea of what a cave sounds like uh from all these games we've played but earthbound just says fuck that we're making things that like we just think this sounds cool we're gonna put it here it doesn't fit the environment but it's cool and for some reason like it's really good i love it and it fits so well and what it does is uh which I, I don't think enough credit gets uh is given to this fact is that when you first walk into that area, you're not able to progress to foresight because there's a traffic jam. Mm-hmm. And so when you walk into the desert area, there is this weird kind of like radio static and like this weird like electronic humming mm-hmm. that's like yeah. so it's quiet, but it's noticeable enough, and it gives that area so much more atmosphere than just you're just sitting sitting in a desert like any other JRPG going from one place to another. It it makes it sound like people are sitting in this desert in gridlock traffic with their windows down, trying to get some reprieve from the heat, and you can hear the, all the radios coming out of the cars. It's... Yeah just such a little thing that again it's the little details in this game that make it stand out from a lot of its contemporaries at the time and then like you know there's a picture of the famous star man on the cover so it's not like a big spoiler to or like you know you're fighting a cosmic deity gigas at the end of the game they tell you this in the the first 15 minutes of the game so it's not really a spoiler to say you're going to deal with like some cosmic stuff later in the game and the soundtrack for that is sufficiently weird when you're dealing with cosmic horrors to the best that Mm -hmm. the super nintendo sound chip can handle they got really really creative with this soundtrack and it's as a result it's one of the most unique and memorable soundtracks of any you know a lot of jrpg or RPG soundtracks in general can kind of blend together, you know, overworld themes and stuff like that. But Earthbound is so different, it totally stands out. It's great. There's something to be said that, like, when you're talking about how the music fits almost any situation, when you run into an enemy and you're like, okay, what the hell is this thing? And it's like, uh, you ran into New Age Retro Hippie. (laughs) And you're like, what the fuck? Yeah. (laughs) And then... The music starts playing and then it matches the encounter also. And you're just like, what is happening here? (laughs) Like, what is going on? But it doesn't skip a beat. It's like, it's supposed to be there, you know? And obviously, the new age retro hippie has a reason for existing also. We'll get into that later (laughs) if you really want. But, um, so 
the people that worked on the soundtrack is uh Keiichi Suzuki and my man, the fucking probably one of the best composers that Nintendo had at the time, uh Hirokazu Hip Tanaka. Mm-hmm. It's a murderer's row of people who worked on this soundtrack, and it's no wonder it's why it's as good as it is. It's also as good as it is because of copyright infringement, which is... So they stole a lot of stuff, so... <laughs> and I, I... You can't see me, but I put stole in, in quotations here. Uh-huh. So one of the biggest theories surrounding like the re-release of earthbound was that uh, a lot of the bands that they were kind of ripping off uh, would kind of take the nintendo to court uh, over the music but that's kind of i believe a toy basically was just like no that's just that isn't the case we still kind of really don't know why nintendo refuses to put this game out other than on the virtual console Mm -hmm. but so the composition team heavily relied on something that the genesis couldn't do at the time which was sampling music Mm -hmm. and so for the most part they used like a lot of samples which is why nothing really on the snes as far as quality goes really sounds like this um and so i've got my notes here it's so i Here's just a couple of the of the songs that they ripped off. Okay. <laughs> so Moonside is and I don't know if you want to put these in side by side or whatever into the show or if you want to check them out separately. Sure. Um but when you're in Moonside, it is a a Rick Ocasek song called Keep On Laughing. Okay. And the song that plays inside the cafe or the bar in Moonside um is actually just the uh national anthem. <laughs> That's weird. I I didn't notice that. And so as far as the Beatles stuff goes, they ripped off Sgt. Pepper. Um so the beginning of Sgt. Pepper, you know, when it's just like that, those like really loud drums and stuff like that. Yeah. Uh, that is the Dungeon Man theme. Oh, okay. Um, and then obviously there's the when you're one of the battle music is Johnny B. Good. Right. Yeah. I did notice that. Yeah. Um, and so that's just, um, that's just a couple of the songs that they were basically ripping off or taking inspiration from. I mean, if you listen to these songs side by side, it's like, Oh, you just, <laughs> you just used those <laughs> songs. <laughs> yeah. I definitely remember the, the Johnny B. Good one for sure. But I mean, that aside, like, there's tons of original music in this game. You know, it's not like they just, the whole soundtrack is somebody else's stuff. And it, like, whenever you go from area to area in the game, I was consistently, like, entertained and anticipating, like, 
what the fuck is this next area going to sound like? Because it's not going to sound like the, the previous one. They don't they don't reuse songs a lot of times, you know, like like Pokemon re- has the same cave song for every cave in the game. Like, I don't feel like Earthbound did that. I might be misremembering, but like the I looked on YouTube, the soundtrack is like it's like 150 tracks long. Like there's a lot of I think it's um, actually a, a quarter of the space of that cartridge <laughs> it's just music, uh, be- and that's one of one of the development problems that they ran into was that once they finished the soundtrack they're like well we don't have room for the game <laughs> so <laughs> it was one of those things where they had to really just wait and develop bigger storage for the cartridge i think um when you brought up the prospect of coming on and talking about earthbound i just got super excited and was like I feel like I know a lot about the development history of Earthbound, but I'm still going to look stuff up. And I found something like crazy where somebody had done the math to find out how much of, how much memory a strand of DNA can hold in a human body. Yeah. And then measured out how much DNA is in a human body and then figured out how much Earth, how much of Earthbound can fit inside of a human body or something like that. <laughs> And it was just some crazy, crazy number that like is unfathomable, but and it's just crazy to think about how small Earthbound is. I think it's only like twenty five megabytes or something like that. Right. But it was like one of the largest Super Nintendo cartridges. Yeah, that's that's pretty crazy that you know this. Like I said, the soundtrack is there are so many tracks on it. Um, like. I do a lot of looking through soundtracks to find music for these episodes and Earthbound has one of the biggest or like most tracks of any game that I've covered on the show so far. So I'm not surprised that they had trouble fitting it on a cartridge uh, back in the day. It's, soundtrack is it's one of those soundtracks that I listen to even if I'm not playing the game. It's just that good. It is. All right. So we are going to take a little break. We're going to let you listen to a little bit more of that soundtrack. When we come back, we're going to talk about the uh, kind of like writing in Earthbound, which is, I think is its biggest draw. Okay. So back talking about the kind of uh, writing and humor and charm in Earthbound. Uh, And I'll say this uh, ahead of time. I think this is an extremely charming game, but uh, I think charm is a very, if you're trying to be very like professional critic, charm is not very useful because what's charming for me is maybe not charming for everybody else. But I found this game to be really, really charming And um, I kind of buried the lead here, but uh, this was the thing that got me through the game. Um, I like this game and I like it almost exclusively because of its charm and flavor and atmosphere and writing and the way that characters interact with each other and stuff like that. Like mechanically, I think this game is pretty bad, but I love the writing and I love the (laughs) humor. I'll get into why I don't like the mechanics of it later. So kind of an early example the game it hits you with the charm right from the beginning that kind of opening you know choose your character name screen like keith talked about but 
early in the game, you get a very early example of just how weird this game is going to get. So you get your beginning story exposition from a bee from the future, uh, and his name is, or its name is Buzz Buzz, and Buzz Buzz travels with you as a member of your party, and Buzz Buzz just crushes every enemy you come up against. Uh, Buzz Buzz does like 80 times the damage that Ness does in those opening sections. So you're like, hell yeah, Buzz Buzz is, uh, he's going to be part of my team. I'm going to, I'm going to wreck shop. Uh, but you go, <laughs> you go into uh, Pokey's house uh, as part of the early game story, and Pokey's mom just swats Buzz Buzz and kills him. And so your magical powerhouse B from the future is dead. And uh, now you're on your own again as Ness. And so from that point in the beginning, I got this like very like, okay, this game is a lot weirder. I knew this game would be weird because it's, you know, we're, we're dealing with an alien invasion here, but this game is going to be weirder than I even expected. So that was my first uh, clue. Yeah, this, when I played this game, game and every time i play it i feel like there's something new that i didn't quite understand the last time i played it and obviously as a child when i play this there's a lot of stuff i didn't understand but the the writing i mean this game is so it's so referential that's that's its main motivation it's like we were talking about earlier i mean there's so much little things that make this kind of like a time capsule but things are also very relevant today so you want to talk about like stuff like cults uh police brutality mm-hmm. uh stuff like that and what jrpgs were at the time were not that they weren't dealing with real world stuff it was obviously there's an alien invasion in this game but yeah. also like that's not that's not really up front, you know, the entire, it's kind of in the background until like the later parts of the game. Right. And I think what it does best is it doesn't, there's so many stuff, so much stuff in like pop culture today where the references are almost shoehorned, even if they don't seem to fit exactly what's happening. It doesn't fit the situation or whatever. It's just in there to, to be like, Hey, there's that thing that you like. You like that thing, don't you? Right? You like that? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Whereas, like the references in Earthbound, they take no, they don't take any time to explain it. It's just they say it, and then it's over with. And it's, and I think it just goes to because this game does a very good job of making you feel like you're going through this world from a child's perspective because we are dealing with a silent protagonist. Uh, which is kind of weird for a JRPG at the time. You know, when we talk about JRPGs, everybody talks about the protagonists for the most part. Uh, but mm-hmm. this was very much, I guess, taking a little more from stuff like Zelda or like Mario or Silent Pretty Cut, really trying to put you in that person's shoes. Uh, but I, I think sometimes just when somebody, when one of the adults in the world cracks a joke or makes a reference and there's just Ness's vacant face. <laughs> just <laughs> it kind of makes it work even more than it should. So I don't know. The the humor in this game is is not shallow. I, I do not I do not think it's very shallow. You just kind of have to pay attention to what people are saying to you. The best part is that 
again, it's not a reference for reference sake. It's just meant for world building. It kind of weaves itself into the narrative uh, mm -hmm. and the gameplay as well. Uh, like one of my favorite things is um, I forgot what dungeon it's in, but you have to talk to these rocks in one of the caves or whatever. And th the rock is just like, hello there. I'm a talking rock. <laughs> it's just <laughs> like, well, yeah, but it's like in every other like JRPG, this rock would have some sort of lore or something. There'd be a reason for it existing. It would take itself so seriously. Mm -hmm. And earthbound doesn't do that there's like a progression element to earthbound where one of the jokes is uh there's a pencil blocking your way yeah and you have to go find <laughs> the pencil eraser and right. <laughs> you go find the pencil eraser and you erase the pencil but then later on you find that trope <laughs> comes back but it's an eraser so now you have to find the eraser eraser yeah <laughs> instead exactly of... earthbound and so it is... just kind of keeps <laughs> it just keeps subverting those tropes that you would just see in any other rpg yeah it it is not afraid to get weird um in very short bursts like you'll you'll go through you'll talk to some normal people and then you'll talk to entire characters who are jokes basically like their whole existence uh, is there to be a joke like there's this one town where there's two kids who are like rival inventors and one kid's name is apple kid and one kid's mm. name is orange kid and they you have these two rival inventors and another game might just like put those out there these two kids but earthbound is like hey just give them weird names that like kind of pit them as opposites you know and then that's the joke they don't you know dwell on it they just think like hey <laughs> isn't it funny and i think it is <laughs> kind of funny um there's a there's a quote I wrote down. This is really early in the game, and this is another one of those quotes that gave me like this clue. Like, okay, uh, hey Dave, pay attention to what people are saying in this game. Don't just mash through dialogue uh, because there's going to be some interesting stuff. So, uh, this is a quote from the mayor early in the game um, after you help the mayor with something. So the mayor says, uh, "Hey, hey, hey! I'm Mayor B. H. Perkle. It's so nice to meet you. You beat up the town bullies." punched them out big time, kicked their butts, bit their heads off, spit in their eyes, and made them wet their pants. Then you force them not to force them to promise not to make any more trouble. Thank you. Uh, wait, what? You want a key to the touring entertainer's shack? For someone as great as you, giving you the key could help to keep the town peaceful. However, if you encounter a dangerous situation, please don't ask me to take any responsibility. I'll be able to avoid any responsibility, right? Okay. And then that's the end of that conversation so in in this one conversation this is consistent throughout the whole game people are constantly making jokes or they're saying things that are like strike a little bit of a real life chord like the mayor saying like hey hey i'm not responsible for whatever the fuck happens in there right you know exactly so like there is this incredible balance and combination of things that remind you of the way real people think but also just these incredibly silly and stupid and very funny uh, jokes throughout the entire game but it's all yeah it's and it goes back to like me talking about how this game really kind of puts you in that child child's perspective in which the adults very much just treat you like a child yeah <laughs> as funny as and i'm sure we'll get into it after like the spoiler wall but i mean there are some like more serious things going on in the game as well mm -hmm. that i think contrast the humor really really well 
in a way that it's like it's like that um that scene in Toy Story three. I might be spoiling kind of the end of Toy Story three here, but where they're all the toys are like holding their hands, holding hands, and they're facing that incinerator or whatever. Where it's like a very very serious moment, mm-hmm. and there's stuff like that in this game, and it's like mature and relatable, but it's not like that deep because it's contrasted by all the weird stuff that's in this game, you know? Yeah. Like there's, there's some stuff really late in the game that is, that are very, um, you know, serious, uh, and maybe even touching situations. But, uh, two hours before that you were literally inside of a person whose one wish it was to become a dungeon. And you were actually (laughs) inside of him, uh, just like an hour and a half before this very touching moment. So yeah, you're right. There is like this, contrast and so the game has like this is not a super serious game that is setting you up to like you know crush you um at certain parts the way some games do Uh, other jrpgs um often do this is um i mean it could get there's there's a part we'll probably talk about later that i think still kind of gets me a little emotional uh, yeah, kind of has that like like something like an indie game might have in it these days where it's kind of like oh okay yeah there there <laughs> are some really powerful parts for sure but it again it's like i was literally inside of dungeon man an hour and a half ago so <laughs> that is still in my head a little bit so yeah um okay let's uh let's take a little break uh when we come back we're going to talk about Uh, actually playing Earthbound, what it's like to actually play. Playing Earthbound, mainly... um, it is mainly walking around talking to people in JRPG uh, fashion the way you do. However, contrasted with a lot of JRPGs, as we talked about, the writing is very entertaining. And so I actually liked talking to random strangers around town. You know, this is something that bothers me with a lot of JRPGs where it's like the way to progress or the way to find what you have to do is you have to talk to all the people in the town. But uh, there's going to be 11 people in the town, one of them has the important information for you, and 10 of them just have boring bullshit that they're saying. Yeah. So I don't want to talk to people in town, but Earthbound, everyone's <laughs> entertaining. So I did actually want to see what people are saying. And in Earthbound, there's there's probably, so let's say there's 11 people in the town. Maybe one of them is the way to progress the plot forward. Two of them have like weird you know, side things for you to do, even if it's just like, you know, hey, drink this tea that's going to send you on a hallucinogenic uh, journey. Um, Or, you know, someone's going to sell stuff to you that you weren't expecting them to have an item for you or something like that. And then all the other people, they're going to just say some weird shit that's going to be entertaining to read. So I actually do like talking to all the people, which is 
something that like i sometimes i play older jrpgs and i'm like i don't know what to do and then the guides will say like talk to everybody and i'm like i don't want to talk to everybody they don't have anything interesting to say earthbound is much much better in that way yeah you would be doing yourself a disservice if you were just skipping through the text yeah it's good you really would be because that's one of the things aside from the music and the presentation and the graphics and <laughs> everything else the <laughs> the writing is what makes this game and like i said ness is a silent protagonist there's not a whole lot up in that head and to make ness seem like a character just based on the people around him is something that cannot be understated that that is the writing is it's just the dialogue is so amazing and it makes you actually care about the world that you are going off to go save in so many rpgs i'm like all right here i am i'm the chosen one i -hmm. found the sword and i'm gonna go kill god like that's (laughs) it like i could like you said like i don't like if i go around town and somebody's just like Oh, somebody poisoned the water today. And it's like, <laughs> yeah, okay. And then like it's like shorts. you come back. They're comfortable and easy to wear. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and then you come back six hours later and they still say the same thing. And you're like, okay. And that's the yeah. other thing too. Like Earthbound changes over time. You know, if you're in, um, you know, Saturn Valley, if you get to Saturn Valley and you complete that whole quest and then you go back to on it. Uh, some of the NPCs will have something different to say. And uh, especially like much, much later in the game. Um, actually, I, I actually want to say this now because I want people to not uh, miss this like I did. Uh, after you beat the game, you can go back and talk to everybody and everybody knows that you've beaten the game. And I think that that's very, very cool. Uh, people will like thank you and congratulate you and stuff like that. And I just assumed like, like most games, okay, I beat the game. Um, I didn't get like this, you know, credits and, you know, go to New Game Plus the way a lot of games do now. It just put me yeah. back down. But I just like put it down and I was like, okay, I'm done. But in Earthbound, uh, like you said, people change. They have different dialogue. And it, it the biggest example of that is after you beat the final boss, uh, you should go back and talk to people because they have new things to say. And it's uh, context dependent. If I may digress just slightly, Mm -hmm. that's something that many JRPGs don't do, even to this day. They don't let you just kind of, after the game is done, let you exist in that world as it has changed. And there's so many, like Final Fantasy VII, it's my favorite game of all time. I love the way that game ends because it is so open-ended. And there's so many, every time I finish that game, I'm like, I want to live in this world if only for like a couple more hours i want to see what's different i want to go back to midgar see how it's changed and you don't and it like in a way it's great in a way it sucks but earthbound lets you do that it lets you see what you have accomplished and games just don't do that yeah i was gonna say i don't think that's unique to jrpgs it's like i i'm struggling to think of any game that Like, a lot of games will let you, like, go finish your side quests after you beat the main story, Um, but a lot of games will just kick you into New Game Plus right away. Um, There's certainly, 
like even a lot of new games where like maybe they have the resources uh to do this it's not like you're you know beating the final boss in uh let's say horizon zero dawn and then everyone in the world is like hey thank you for taking care of that situation you know people don't do that right yeah (laughs) yeah (laughs) like like i just like i guess more modern example like i just beat spider-man for the first time right and obviously after the final boss you can go back into that and just clean up the rest of the game but it's like nobody seems affected by anything right so it's just a really cool thing that um earthbound has uh put into it so i actually like i I was saving that for the spoiler section but i think it's really cool and it, it it should be representative of a lot of the like touches that they've put on um other parts of the gameplay not necessarily the um you know the meat and potatoes which is the combat going through dungeons and stuff like that uh there is Mm -hmm. care put into other aspects of the gameplay that i think people should know about now that i've said all of those nice things it's time to talk about the (laughs) (laughs) it's time to talk about the combat um so first before combat you're running around on an overworld or not not an overworld these uh, map screens you know and this is kind of like Chrono Trigger where you can see the enemies out in the um, on the screen. It's not like random encounters. Uh, so you can see the enemies on the screen. It's sort of random. It's random which enemies appear and how many there are. Um, but right. it's not like you stepped on this, you've walked seven tiles, now it's time for an encounter like in you know Final Fantasy right. games and stuff like that. So... You can see the enemies, and this gives you this like choice of uh, how you want to engage them. You can try to avoid them, but it's really... I don't like that. I don't like the execution of that because the enemies are way faster than you. And if you try to run away, they'll just hit you from behind. And this game has this system where if you get hit from behind or if you hit an enemy from behind, you get an ambush and you start first in combat. Um so it's good that you can do that, but trying to run away from them will basically always get you this, uh, you know, ambush. What you should do is this game has this thing where if you go out of that screen and come back, it'll reload enemies. And sometimes, you know, you'll go on the screen and there's like seven enemies there. And then you go back and come back to that screen and it's like, oh, there's only one this time. Okay, I'm going to go ahead. And that's one way to make that a little bit easier so yeah do, i don't know do you like this uh like s- how they execute this like seeing enemies on the screen thing because chrono trigger does this too and i think chrono triggers is much better than earthbounds uh, i do i do like this approach to the enemy encounters uh it, in fact i like it so much that it since 1995 has kind of changed my life when approaching <laughs> enemy encounters in jrpgs mm-hmm. because of the fact that i always try and sneak up behind behind an enemy thinking i'm going to get the advantage but it mm-hmm. usually never works out that way which is very strange i don't some some rpgs will do that not many and i don't yeah. know i don't know a lot of jrpgs that even implement this kind of system to this day and i do not know why it's such a good idea to be able to kind of I mean, it's so rudimentary in Earthbound, right? I mean, you're all, you're, it's a 2D game. You can only do so much. But yeah. the fact that you could kind of think of a way 
to engage an enemy before the battle even happens is a really cool idea. And I mean, yeah, there's a lot of risk reward if you're walking into a room and you're like, all right, do I, do I just take these enemies head on or do I try and turn around and get them to despawn and kind of roll the dice and see if I can get a, a better handle on, on what's going on in this room. Mm-hmm. It does suck when you fail because you will die. <laughs> yeah. Especially pretty early on. Yeah. And I, I will say, I mean, this is a 1994 ass JRPG. There's grinding involved and yep. I can't, um, I can't defend that. Even when I've talked about, uh, older JRPGs on my own show, I can never defend grinding other than the fact that if you realize you need to grind, put on a great podcast, put on an awesome album, chill out and just grind away. Um, it's not terrible in Earthbound. There are so many JRPGs that are much worse than Earthbound. Oh, yeah. Yeah. You have to grind in Earthbound. Uh, there are certain points in the game where I was like, I just, I'm not doing a lot of damage. I need to grind a few levels. And in Earthbound, uh, a few levels is usually enough, you know? Yes. Like, yes. you don't have to grind 15 levels. Uh, if you're having a hard time with a boss, go grind like two levels and it will make a big difference. I, but and I agree. Little... It's, it's not as egregious as a lot of other even classic critically acclaimed jrpgs yeah and i think what they did what hal did to mitigate grinding as well is genius in which this is another thing i've never seen any other jrpg do but if you are at a higher level or you have beaten the the boss of the area that you're in Uh uh-huh enemies will run away from you yeah and so it's very easy to get a preemptive strike on them and instead of going into the battle screen and actually having to go through the whole system of a battle, just right then and there, there's a flash on the screen and the music comes up and it says, you won, it gives you your XP and you're done, which very much helps when it comes to grinding. And there, there, like a lot of JRPGs, there are certain spots that you can go to to get a ton of XP very quickly. Mm-hmm. But again, like you don't, unless you really just want to be a powerhouse and just fight your way through the game very easily, you don't need to do a ton of grinding. There's even certain points in the game where they use the leveling up system to kind of be like this, like metaphysical thing, like you have transcended and then they will give you like the game will just give you five or 10 levels as kind of like this, um, as if like you, like you've just overcome like this huge thing and like you're becoming like a, a better person or something like that. Yeah. Um, you've, you've um, like you said, you've transcended or you have, uh, you have overcome this like very personal challenge or something like that. And then that's yeah. reflected in your character's strength. Like you, sh- right. you have, you have grown as a character or as a person, like your character Ness has. So it's reflected in his level, the way that, um, not a lot of games do that, even though characters do have these very big like personal successes in the stories of a lot of these games, but you never get a bunch of levels for doing that. But in Earthbound, that does happen sometimes, and it's very cool. One of my, If you're going into this game, here, here's a little tip for you, and I don't know if you knew about this, Dave, but in the desert, I don't remember what the enemy is called. I think he's just called like 
the boss caterpillar or the angry caterpillar or something like that. <laughs> and he gives out a ton of XP and he will run away from you. So it's very easy to get the drop on him and just win the battle automatically. And like I said, he gives a ton of XP, but if you do somehow mess it up and get into a regular battle, he will fuck you up. <laughs> <laughs> So nice. you have to be really careful with that one. So that's just my that's my little pro tip right there. Nice. I'll be honest with you. I never fought things in the desert because I was scared. So I, I just didn't fight things uh, in the desert. He he only spawns in like one particular area of the desert. Otherwise, you okay. don't see him. Yeah. So I never saw that thing. Um, I, would, I do want to mention, though, when you get those automatic victories, um, you you get a portion of the regular experience. You don't get 100%. So it's, I think it's overall positive because you don't have to go into battles and stuff like that. You can probably grind quicker this way, but you don't get all of the experience that way. Uh, the enemies running away from you is really cool. And um, I, yeah, you're right. I haven't seen that in a lot of games. And like, I should say, I said I, I said I wasn't a huge fan of like the execution of this, but this is still way, 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 way better than the typical JRPG, like random tiles shooting up like random battles at you. I will play this style of thing and I will enjoy this way more than, you know, the uh, where they set encounter rates based on how many tiles you walk on in Pokemon or in, um, you know, basically every other JRPG I've played shit Pokemon only started doing this like three years ago, you know? (laughs) So like, uh, this is, this is really, really good. Um, and, uh, I would like to see, I hope that, you know, JRPGs now are not made in this way. This like, you know, 2d type of way anymore, like triple a ones aren't, but I hope that, uh, the indie developers who are making JRPG inspired games, uh, will, copy this because i think this is good and more iteration on this would make it even better like the the way that the pokemon legends arceus does with its enemies on the map and how they react to you and stuff is really really good uh so people have uh improved on this but in earthbound it's really good and like we said this game is i'm not going to do the math this this game's old as shit they figured it out to a certain extent way back when uh and it's it's a Overall, I think it's it's better than the, you know, random encounters with enemies you can't see on the screen, for sure. But once you do get into combat, then you have to do combat in Earthbound. You have to do Earthbound combat. Uh, so I will say the friendly way of saying this is that the combat is very basic, which is understandable because this game is old. We didn't have 30 years of iteration on turn-based combat back when this game was released. Uh, We had, I don't know, I'm not a game historian uh, when we go that that far back, but this is uh, old-ass JRPG combat. You have a basic attack with each character. Three of your four characters can use uh, psychic abilities called psi abilities, you know, healing, um, offensive magic, or status uh, effects. And then your your other character, Jeff, has items that he can use in battle. So, And these are all the most American items ever. Jeff is basically shooting fireworks at enemies. And if that's not American, then I don't know what the fuck is. Probably screeching like an eagle. 
Yeah, exactly. <laughs> While uh, Lee Greenwood is playing. Cry. Yeah. <laughs> so the combat is really, really basic. And I think the combat is really RNG based. Like enemies in this game hit hard. And even your basic enemies have attacks that will do a lot of damage to you, uh, especially early in the game. Especially it's kind of like exacerbated by the fact that you just have Ness early in the game. And so like if there's an enemy that hits really hard, you want to kill it as quickly as possible, but you only get one turn. Later on in the game, you'll be able to manage really hard enemies a lot easier because you have a lot more um, turns for your side. Uh, So early in the game, I found myself really like there's no strategy I found early in the game because your psi attacks use your the, your magic called PP in this game. <laughs> um, and yeah, I had to. <laughs> Recovering PP is really hard. You don't get like any items early in the game that recover it. You have to go all the way back to a hotel and rest to recover uh, or, you know, find a rare event or something that will recover it. So like the only strategy is like, oh, this enemy is really hard. I should use magic against only this enemy. Everything else is just like attack. Oh, I got hit really hard. I got to heal this time. Okay. All right. Next time attack. Oh, the enemy missed. Okay. Attack again. It's um, really like no strategy until way late in the game. I thought, I don't think this combat is uh, even really later in the game. I don't think this combat's very good. And I think it's just because it's really old and outdated. Uh, maybe, maybe Keith, you can talk about like back in the day. What did you think? I'm very going to politely disagree and say that it's not outdated. But also, I mean, if it's very, very Dragon Quest, it's Dragon Quest. Just plain and simple. It's it is just they took Dragon Quest and that is the battle system. Um, mm-hmm. It is incredibly simple. Yeah, I don't know if it's outdated because there's so many modern games that are still doing this. Like Dragon uh, Quest. We can still, yeah, <laughs> we can talk about it like Pokemon. Yeah. Even in Pokemon Arceus or whatever, Arceus, whatever it's called, mm-hmm. still turn-based uh, for it, the most it's part. Turn- but, it, not to get into a thing about Pokemon, but there is way more strategy <laughs> in Pokemon than Earthbound, even in Pokemon well, Red. Well, sure. Yeah. Like I said, it all it all goes back to that rock, paper, scissors type of menta- mentality. I, I do agree, though. Like, it, the first couple of hours of Earthbound is an uphill climb. It is very much, this is a JRPG-ass JRPG. It doesn't really get interesting until you get Paula. Um because I think even then Ness doesn't unlock his psychic powers quite yet. I think Paul is the first one with the psychic powers. I think Ness unlocks them like early in the game, but like I said, you can't use them all the time because you, you have such limited pool of like uh PP, PP. Yeah. and it's so hard to recover them. You can use like two psi attacks and then you can't use any more because you can't recover pp so right ness effectively doesn't have them except for in emergencies yeah it's it's definitely an uphill battle and i think i remember you i remember you texting me when you started the game <laughs> and you're like do i have to grind because i think you're having a tough time with frankie 
Yeah. And that is your first like test. Be like, can you beat this boss? Because Frankie is hard. And then directly after that battle, you have to fight uh this like monster that he made of like kegs and right yeah yeah <laughs> like so it's like a double boss battle and they will both just wreck you if you are under leveled and so it's like what like i said this there's grinding involved in this game um and that is probably one of the most notorious parts of the game where you will just have to grind yeah that was the that was the like most noticeable place where i was like i have to grind right now later in the game i did inadvertently grind a bit as i got stuck in some dungeons and was just going around again and again and again and again Mm -hmm. that was effectively grinding but that early part in the game was the really one of the only points where i was like okay dave yeah like you said put on a podcast it's time to grind for about an hour yeah it's not great it's not great. I won't defend the early hours of this game at all, uh, as far as the battles go. Um, the one, so let me ask you something. Yeah. Did you use the auto mode on this game at all? No, because, uh, I think I tried a few times early in the game and I very quickly noticed that I was, it was not killing enemies quickly enough. So it was not, you know, it was okay. not the optimal choice for me. Yeah, in the 23, 23, 24 years this game has been out, I have never used that. (laughs) So I have no idea why it's in there. I don't remember. There was a podcast I was listening to. I don't remember who it is, so forgive me if they even listen to the show. Uh, They said that they used it, and this is something I guess we can kind of get into. They used the auto mode when their player would take a critical hit um and essentially the the rolling counter would start going down because i think they said when you use the auto mode it automatically prioritizes your healing and will do it much faster than what you can do oh right because you have to menu through and choose the right things yeah so it's like i'd never ever thought of that in like the how many years i've played this game and I don't, I just, when I was playing through it for the show, um, I just, I didn't utilize it because I just never, I, I don't know. There's something about it where I'm just like, I don't know why this is here. Like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, that I'm glad you brought that up though, because the, um, one thing that does, that is unique with, uh, this game and, uh, mother three, if I'm remembering correctly is when you get hit, your hit points don't go down instantly. You have these, um, this rolling health and it will slowly tick down your health not slowly but it will tick down and your character even if you take you know 500 more damage than you have hit points it won't kill you instantly it will tick down tick 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 and you can still attack you can still do stuff during that time and early in the game this wasn't very useful uh it was just kind of like oh that's nice i was able to attack one more time and kill this enemy there are instances where you will just yeah just finish the battle before your health hits zero and you are just left with wherever the counter stopped at the end of the battle right later in the game though this became like something that i could rely on and like i had to rely on because enemies hit so hard but i feel like it was designed with the idea that 
okay, later in the game, you have managed this, uh, you have like kind of mastered the, this is one of my criticisms later in the game. I think there's like each character has like one good move, like one optimal move. You're not really fucking around with a lot of the status effects and stuff in most of the fights. So, I mean, they very much become your traditional, like one's a thief, one's a bar or bard or whatever. One's the white mage. Right. Uh, one's the knight. You know, they fall into those traditional JRPG tropes. Right. So like, Later in the game, you I still don't think there's a lot of strategy with the moves that you have later in the game, but what the strategy does, uh, where the strategy does kick in is with this rolling health, because enemies hit really hard, and you have to know what to do when your health is rolling down like that. And uh, I do think that that is kind of cool. You know, I don't, I don't love it, but I think it's kind of cool. It's unique, and um, it does give you this, like, oh shit, Jeff just took a really big hit. I got to take care of that right now. And this game is turn-based, but that um, that health is ticking down in real time. So it's like, oh, hurry up, hurry, 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 take care of Jeff, you know, like that. So that is a kind of cool mechanic in the combat. Um, one other thing you mentioned, uh, and I want to kind of get your thoughts on this. I thought it was kind of cool that for most of the game, Ness is not the most powerful character in your party as your, you know, your player character is, you know, often, you know, this super soldier or something like that, thinking of Final Fantasy VII or something. I found Paula to be, like, by far the most effective character for, like, 95% of the game. I mean, yeah, yeah. It, I don't want to really go into it, but I mean, even going up until the end of the game i mean it, it's paula right so yeah. uh yeah i feel like this is kind of paula's game in a lot of ways and i think that's only from a story standpoint it, when you meet paula i mean she's kidnapped you know she's going through all this stuff it seems like she's kind of lived life a little bit more than ness has yeah or ness just kind of seems like he's kind of had this kind of uh, sheltered upbringing almost or whatever like yeah ness has like just very... been just been playing baseball in his backyard the whole time you know yeah it seems like almost kind of like a latchkey kid sort of or something you know like mm -hmm. and all these other people and i mean when you meet jeff he's already seems like he has like this entire life he's at this boarding school and then uh poo I'm not even gonna, like, pretend... Like, Pooh is useless. I don't actually really know why. He's just another psychic person, you know? I don't yeah. know why he's there, <laughs> to be honest, but... Yeah. Um, I mean, he does get some very powerful attacks, but it takes a long time. Did you get his... So Did you um get everybody's secret weapon? No, because uh, this has one of this old old uh i don't know old-fashioned game design things where it's like yeah uh, you have to fight this one enemy and this enemy has a one in 128 chance of yeah. dropping Pooh's special weapon and as yes. soon as i saw that i was like i am never fucking doing that that's horrible and it's the only weapon in the game for him yeah so you're right so since i didn't do that and by the way, I and I don't think that that's my fault for not doing that. I think it's a shitty way to make a character useful. It is. Yeah, it is. Pooh has a good attack, but it takes a lot of PP, and he doesn't have a whole, you know, he doesn't have a huge pool of it. 
And uh, so the rest of the time I was like, yeah, Pooh, you just kind of chip in some damage. And if you get hit with an attack, <laughs> cool, because that means they didn't hit Paula, you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. But plus she's, yeah, I mean, like I said, she's your white mage, you know, she's... Ness gets some healing spells. Oh, um, interesting. But... I use Ness for healing, mostly. I, I used Paula, like, exclusively for damage, and then Ness was the healer. And Ness would use... See, I always, I always use them interchangeably. So if, if Paula was hitting hard, Ness was healing, and then if Ness... If somebody got, like, mortal damage or something, I would automatically switch to Paula because I knew she had the better healing spell anyway. And so then I would let Ness hit, and then Paula would heal anybody who really needs to really needs to get their, their HP up or whatever. Um, so I, I basically kind of switched off with both of those guys. Okay, yeah. I, I don't know. Like, I, I kind of quickly figured out Paula's attacks hit hardest, and... Uh, for most of the game, uh, Ness doesn't have enough PP. Paula gets way more than Ness. Uh, so Paula would hit really hard. I would use Ness to heal. Ness is like, you know, hit with the bat attack. That's like basically just the free attack is better than mm-hmm. uh, Paula's free attack. So I would use him that way. Jeff is pretty interesting, but I don't know. He gets He gets one item later in the game that's like a reusable like rocket launcher and i just use that all the time except on bosses yeah uh, yeah anyway uh not to get too deep into See, like the, go ahead well i was gonna say the other thing that i never quite liked about this game is it has you know each weapon has its own stats uh, that relates to your character depending on what you equip and the one thing i just hated was just how good like stuff like the yo-yos were but its effectiveness was like next to nothing you were probably going to miss half of half of your shots at an enemy yeah Uh, that's one of those things that i just especially in older jrpgs is just shitty because they will always just they'll screw you the the odds are always stacked against you in, in situations like that and this game is kind of filled with those weapons yeah, and as you're playing the game, you pick up a new weapon. You're because, like in uh, in Earthbound, you can't see the stats of your weapon. You can't see that, you know. Oh, I picked up this like, you know, super laser or whatever. You can't see that it only hits thirty five percent of the time. And your automatic instinct is to equip your new weapon, your new shiny weapon, um, and. Uh, this is going to be a good transition. Your other instinct is to get rid of your old weapon uh, because right. you have limited inventory space in Earthbound, and it's fucking horrible. It's the is by far the worst part of this game. It made me so mad consistently through the game. Uh, so because you have limited inventory space, you'll get a new weapon, you'll sell your old weapon immediately, or at least you'll get it out of your inventory. Then you'll go into a dungeon you'll find out your shiny new weapon only hits 30% of the time and you're like, well, fuck. I guess I gotta go back and buy and buy something else. Um, anyway, yeah. inventory space. Uh, your inventory can only hold 10 items, I think. And those items include your weapon, your three equipable like armor and item slots, accessory slots, which you should have filled up on everybody so they don't die in one hit. Uh, And then all your key items. So your ATM card where you can take out money, your map, 
and the soundstone, which is an which is a mandatory item in Ness's inventory, which you're using to collect these melodies. If you throw in a few other items, like the pencil eraser we um, talked about earlier, uh, suddenly you only have two slots for consumable things like health, uh, health restoratives and stuff like that. Uh, early in the game, when you just have Ness, and like I said, you only have Ness for maybe at least a couple hours, uh, this inventory limit is awful. I hated it so much. It made the game way harder than it should have been. It gets a little bit better as you get more party members, but it's still bad uh, because uh, Jeff needs to use items in combat to be useful at all. So Jeff's inventory is basically full the whole game with bottle rockets and stuff like that. That's what I was, I was going to mention that. Yeah. Yeah. So what this does is every time you pick up an item, um, you need to do inventory management because if you're like me, your inventory is basically full as you're walking around in dungeons, especially you need to fill up on healing stuff or, you know, useful items in combat itself. So every time you find a treasure in a dungeon, you're like, okay, this looks cool. Well, I have to throw away a healing item to take this with me. It's, uh, it's real bad and you can't just like drop quest items after the quest is over. You have to uh, call the fuck escargot express to come pick it up. And uh, they can only, um, I don't know. They can only like take three things at a time. So you have to call them repeatedly. That's not a huge deal. The big deal is that you're limited in your inventory. And I feel like the inventory limit is not big enough. It's really bad. Yeah. No, that's so that's the one thing I will definitely be like, yes, this absolutely sucks. There's no reason that this needs to be like this. Yeah. <laughs> There's so no many No reason at all. So the many f- games Final that, Fantasy games let you carry 99 of any item you want and 99 of 99 different items like Right. From if way I back buy when. seven skip sandwiches, yeah. let them stack. Why don't they stack? But no, yeah, instead they, the items seven, don't stack. That's yeah, the problem. They, if the items stacked, it wouldn't be a huge deal, but they don't. Right. No, yeah, it's it's downright awful. I have no idea. And I think the only thing that I could come to this defense and I would still hate it because personally, I don't give a shit, is that they're probably going for realism. These are kids. They can only fit so much stuff in their little backpacks or their sure. pockets or purse or whatever might have you, which is something... People like people like real realism in in video games, Dave. People like their weapons to break in <laughs> Breath of the Wild, and it's the best game that was ever made. People love that shit. They eat it up, and that's the only defense. It's a terrible defense, I know. Yeah, but it sucks. <laughs> it's because this isn't realism. Because you're carrying, you know, Jeff is carrying a fucking rocket launcher in his backpack. <laughs> if you're talking about realism, like there's no realism there. So. <laughs> Like I get like, if you want to have inventory management, you have to make it, don't let it get in the way of fun in the game. I think like encumbrance is a way that a lot of games do this, where your inventory is limited because you can only carry a certain amount of stuff. Or, uh, I have seen resident evil games do that, like inventory Tetris, right? Oh man, Resident Evil 4 is like the best as far as inventory management goes. That is that yeah, that's way more interesting than just like you get to carry 10 items and only 10 items. 
uh, I think that, yeah, I think this is horrible. The other problem with this is like you get these quest items and I was always afraid to get rid of them or send them back to the computer because you never know when you're going to come up on one of those um, pencils out in the world (laughs) or you never know when, like I thought uh, you get this item called the Franklin badge early in the game that uh, reflects electricity and you use it for a for one of the main quests. Um, And I thought, okay, that's over. I'll put the Franklin badge away forever. Nope. The Franklin badge is useful the entire game. You should pretty much always keep the Franklin badge, but because you're so pressured by, the amount of items you can carry, you're constantly trying to get rid of all these quest items and it will burn you a few times later in the game. So yeah, this sucks. I, I don't have anything else to say about it. It's just, it's bad. And I think one of the things that would have helped mitigate stuff like the Franklin badge is to have what a lot of JRPGs typically have, which Earthbound doesn't, If is if you had like equipable armor, basically. Yeah. You know, so maybe... You know, Ness equips a shirt that has that bonus to deflect electricity or something like that. Right. You know, so then you're not taking up another part of your inventory. You know, that's a whole separate, whole separate screen from your actual inventory. Yeah, you you get accessories in Earthbound that like could theoretically do that, but they they don't have the same function. A lot of them just add to your defense rating and right, some of right. them will be like uh you can't get put to sleep if you're wearing this none of them will have that you know the franklin badge should be an equipable accessory um, at the very least let's free up one inventory slot by making this your accessory uh equipable but it's not it's just a thing you have in your inventory that then has that effect so let me let me ask you something here about yeah. s- still on the battles, I guess. <laughs> I'm really interested to hear what you thought about homesickness. Homesickness? When Ness would get homesick? I don't think that that ever happened to me. Really? Yeah. It doesn't ring a bell at all. What happens when you Interesting. get homesick? So... What homesickness is, is it's it's essentially just a status ailment that will come up when it just randomly it just randomly comes up. You will be in a battle and it'll just be like, oh, Ness doesn't feel like fighting right now. Or like, Ness is, you know, thinking about <laughs> pussy back home and, <laughs> you know, and like Ness will just refuse to fight. And Weird. the only way to relieve that status ailment is to actually just make a phone call home and talk to your mom. Oh, okay. That never came up for you? No, never. Not once. Wow. That comes up, not frequently, but it comes up a couple times in the game. At least for me, it did. Interesting. I never, uh, never had that. Like, I can't even like... I don't even know if I called mom that often. It was, um, let's see. I, I think, I don't know. I thought it was, I think it's a really interesting mechanic, especially in relation to the story, because, uh, it's one of those things that kind of like really make you think about how far you've actually come in your journey, because it really doesn't yeah. start happening in, until you're like, probably after you get Jeff, 
And I guess maybe it speaks to me too, because for someone like me, it makes me dwell on like all the stuff I've done in my life. And, you know, people get homesick, sick, you know, it's that kind Mm -hmm. of stuff that like when you're in bed at night and you wake up in the middle of the night, you're having an existential existential crisis or something. And it's like, (laughs) you know, those thoughts don't really mean anything, but could kind of bring your mood down the very next day or whatever while you're at work or something. And it's just like, you want to, talk to somebody familiar you want to call home just to get like some sort of reassurance even if it doesn't really mean anything at all right and i know like i I sounded like hypocritical and i talked about the inventory space being realistic when in reality i think i talked about how uh earthbound really kind of pokes fun at jrpgs a lot it's very Mm self-aware um it does but in a way, like, the homesickness thing is kind of like a hint of realism in a video game, you know? And like I said, it's just one of those things where it's just like, you got to remember, like, Ness is, these are just children. Right. <laughs> like, That's what I was going to say. They have, like, this huge burden on their shoulders. And it's like, I don't know. I, I did one of the weird things, too, where it's like, once you get the ability to teleport or fast travel, it was one mm-hmm. of those things, like, when I played this as a kid for no reason at all. I would just teleport myself to Ness's house and go talk to my mom there instead of calling her, even though Ooh. it actually didn't really do anything special. It was just, I was just a weird kid and that's what I did. So, but yeah, it's interesting. You never came across that. Cause I feel like this would have been a Dave thing that you would have just hated. No, uh, it's it probably would have been annoying if it just like sprung up at a bad time in combat but i i really like the idea of it like you get no warning to when it's going to happen it just happens right and so i think it would have been a a pretty cool reminder because you're right you you do forget as you play through the game you forget that ness is a small child and so it would have been a pretty cool uh, reminder i think that uh, this is a group of kids you're dealing with here and they didn't just stop being kids because they're out doing this, you know, save the world adventure here. So that is pretty cool, but it, it never happened. And I I wonder if, like, when I was using the phone to, like, uh, call, you call your dad to save, I think. Yeah, and he also gives you money as well. Right. He, he, He's uh, like your ATM, basically. Yeah, he puts money in your account. You You can also call your mom, and I wonder if, like, from time to time as I was mashing through the phone menu, if I had just accidentally hit call mom. And I wonder if that like staves off homesickness for some amount of time. Yeah, it must. Yeah. Cause it, yeah, that legit never happened uh, the whole time. And I wow. never went back to the hometown until uh, the end of the game, basically, uh, or until okay, yeah, the end of the game when you have to go back um, to the, the meteor site. So um, do you have any other mechanical things that you want to mention before we get into our like kind of thoughts in summary before the spoiler section? Uh, no, but do you have a favorite enemy? No, not really. Um, <laughs> okay. <laughs> I thought that, I thought a lot of the enemies were, were cool and creative with like what they, what they're made, like what they, you know, how the enemies manifest themselves, you know, like, especially the human enemies that you're fighting. Um, you're not fighting just like you know, mafia goons or something like that. It's, it's, you know, corrupted people a lot of times and stuff like that. I thought that was pretty cool. Um, I like the star men, the star men are a, 
yeah. uh, kind of iconic thing. Um, I thought they were pretty cool. The different versions of them are cool. Yeah, and some of them will some of them will fuck you up. Um, yes. Yeah. Very much so. What What about you? What's your favorite? Oh, man, I mean, when you're in Moonside, I, I think it's Moonside, and you just fight a cup of coffee. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I just think it's just fucking. It's so weird. There's just so many. That's the thing about Earthbound. I, there's they have to me they have memorable enemies. Whereas, like, a lot of JRPGs at the time are just, like, you're just, here's here's the first area, and you are fighting a rat. And now you're fighting generic demons or something. Um, like, the escalation's always the same. Like, I think, like, Final Fantasy has, like, those, I guess, iconic enemies. I wouldn't call them memorable. So, like, behemoths or bombs or something. Right. I, I don't think those are memorable because they just are in every Final Fantasy. Right. So that way it's a little different, but like 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 you're fighting cops in this game or you're fighting a pile of puke. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> or you're sentient UFOs and like like I, I think I mentioned the hippie. You're fighting hippies and Yeah, Sasquatches and stuff like right. that. Yeah. I uh, I think the one of my favorite enemies is the oak when you um, are on your way to Saturn Valley, there's those fucking trees and they just look so happy. And then they self-destruct and just body your entire party. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's just so like, Oh God damn it. <laughs> like every, every time those things show up on the screen, I'm doing the thing where like you walk away just a little bit and then come back just to make sure that motherfucker has gone. But mm-hmm. I just think it's hilarious just how, seemingly innocent they look and then they completely wreck you like there's one um there's a couple later in the game when like there's one enemy that's just like a gas pump and it'll <laughs> yeah. show up with uh, with other enemies and it will just constantly like do a full heal on the other enemies so like in those encounters it's like okay gotta kill that fucking gas pump then i'll deal <laughs> yeah. with this other thing that's really dangerous <laughs> so yeah it's a real mix of uh enemies from you know some traditional rpg type enemies but you get household objects fighting you you get you know cups of coffee zombies um corrupted people and then later in the game you get into all this like cosmic you know starmen ufos stuff like that so cool let's take a little break When we come back, we're going to give our thoughts in summary about Earthbound before the spoiler section. So time for final thoughts in summary. Do we recommend people play Earthbound and stuff like that? Guest always goes first. So Keith, what do you want people to know who maybe haven't played Earthbound? Or just your thoughts in summary for those who have? Oh, man. Well, it's tough. Like, this is the first time. This is also the one thing I was kind of anxious about coming on talking about this is the fact that I it's the first time I actually took a real critical look at this game. Uh, and it scared the shit out of me. 
when it comes to my podcast specifically, like a game like this that I am so familiar with and love so much, which I'm probably kind of giving away what I'm about to say, uh, it has yet to come up on my own podcast. So it's kind of uh, weird to actually critically take a look at this game. Um, because like when I analyze a game while I'm playing it, I, I take everything into context. You know, what was gaming like in 1994? How did this get, how did this game get compared to everything else back then? What was the reception to it? Uh, what is it now? And does it have some sort of lasting legacy? And I think Earthbound, looking back at it, is a game that was way ahead of its time in a lot of ways. Uh, the approach Hal took to those enemy encounters that we talked about, uh, the focus on the game's uh, characters, and not even not even the main protagonist. It's it's the side characters that actually give the protagonist their own identity. The storytelling mm-hmm. and the setting is still, you know something that we don't really see a lot of today and if we do see it it's not really done correctly like there's jrpgs that try to have like a contemporary setting but you're still equipping some really strange looking armor or your character is <laughs> still using like a moss immune or something and um it's just crazy because like without even leaving japan and not even talking about the writing but the setting as a whole like it's almost like a toy not only held up a mirror to kind of what American post World War II like America American culture was, but also kind of like what that kind of weird world would look like to a child. And so I think what Earthbound does best is it just wraps its very JRPG like go kill God plot very recognizable just by how grounded it is and how emotional it can get. I know we haven't really talked about that stuff really, but there are like some very real like human emotions in this game and it doesn't at the same time, it doesn't take itself so seriously because like I said, this game kind of realizes that it is a video game. And Mm -hmm. I think in a lot of ways, uh, the story is relatable because, uh, if you have a child, well, not even if you have a child. Like, we've all been children. Besides <laughs> dying, that's the only other thing we all have in common as humans is that we were once children. Um, there's a lot of things that we didn't quite understand, and there's a lot of things in this game that, even as adult, kind of flies over my head sometimes. <laughs> so, mm-hmm. um, yeah, it's it, it just what it does to just kind of parody the JRPGs that were out at the time. There, there really isn't really a game that I have played that kind of really balances like this childlike wonder, but also like that dark existential dread that this this game has, uh, quite like Earthbound does. And I kind of want so like there's there's like a new genre of horror within like the past six or seven years called elevated horror, and I feel like Earthbound would kind of be like an elevated RPG because it takes all those elements that came before. And just uh, ramps up the drama, and it just makes that stuff work to its advantage. Mm-hmm. And what I alluded to earlier is, I think it, you look at the RPGs 
coming out today and i don't think you have games you don't you definitely don't have games like undertale you don't have octopath traveler you don't have eastward or lisa Mm -hmm. and there was uh even an article i read earlier today that trey parker said that earthbound was a huge inspiration when making the stick of truth and you could i mean it's pretty easy to see yeah yeah just look at what south park actually is it's four children (laughs) so I think if Earthbound came out today with maybe some slight adjustments to the battle mechanics and the inventory, I mean, I just, I don't think if it came out today, it would be hard to believe that it wouldn't be making game of the year lists all over again. And it even, you know, fans petitioning in the early 2000s to have Nintendo put this game back out again, it led to Mother, the development of Mother 3, which a lot of people would say is better than Earthbound, uh, which that might be for a whole other podcast. I don't know, but yeah, um, <laughs> yeah, man, I you I fucking love Earthbound. Um, I would definitely recommend checking it out if you can, um, especially especially if you're interested in playing one of the best JRPGs from that era. It's it's very very easy to get into. Yeah. So, unlike uh, unlike you, Keith, and unlike what you do on the main quest, um, on my show, I don't often take historical context into account when I'm talking about like my experience with a game and whether I'm going to recommend it. You know what games were like at the time is not really a factor for me, and it's one of it's actually one of my least favorite defenses for a game. And I'm not saying you're defending anything with that. I'm just saying like, that's a part of your show and your uh, analysis of it. Right. Um, a lot of times, like I'll, I'll say, I don't like this about a game and people are like, Oh, that's just how games were. Suck it up. You know, uh, that's not how I like to look at games. Uh, that's why often. I wanted to bring up all those modern examples yeah, where it's exactly. like, this game because still of- does hold up because those games are incredibly popular today. Right. Exactly. So like to for in my opinion that's yeah, yeah yeah just me obviously and I haven't I haven't played a lot of those games but I was thinking like before we recorded like I was thinking I haven't played Undertale but I can see the influence uh of Earthbound in something like Undertale just from what I know about it you know the creator of Undertale Toby Fox literally probably would have never made Undertale without Earthbound because he's famous for making the the ROM hack for Earthbound. He made a Halloween ROM hack for oh, that, okay. which is apparently like a very good ROM hack. I really want to play that thing. I would, yeah, I would assume it's good because so many people respect Toby Fox as a, you know, a game designer. So I would assume that his ROM hack is also good. Yeah, it was one of the very first things that he made. So okay, go ahead. I'm sorry I interrupted you. Yeah, so as far as Earthbound goes, um, since I don't really take what games were like at the time as part of like my experience with it. Um, I am not sure that I would recommend that the average person play earthbound, uh, except if you're the type of person who, uh, charm and atmosphere and writing and, um, stuff like that can carry you through, uh, like me, that, like, that is what carried me through playing Earthbound uh, because, like I said earlier, I don't think the battle mechanics are very good, um, even compared to contemporary JRPGs, like JRPGs of the time. 
Final Fantasy VI and Chrono Trigger both have battle systems that I think are like way better than Earthbound's uh, combat. So, like from a gameplay perspective, I'm not sure I would recommend people play Earthbound if you're the type of person that needs really good gameplay to get you through a game. Uh, Earthbound, in my opinion, is not going to give you that. Uh, but what it will give you is charm, atmosphere, great writing, uh, good characters, um, and a story. Like we didn't talk about like the overall story a whole lot, but I, I think that like that story itself is it's kind of built on references and jokes and things like that until you get to the end when, holy shit, the story is actually doing something here. Whereas like, you know, a final fantasy story or chrono trigger might be built on this emotional beat after emotional beat after emotional beat. Earthbound is not really like that. It's built on jokes upon jokes upon jokes. And then here's an emotional beat and then here's more jokes. And then you get later in the story and they do get to some very cool emotional stuff later. So if you're somebody who like that kind of thing can take you through a game with, like I said, good writing, uh, very good atmosphere, good references, a lot of charm and a lot of heart put into the game. You can tell that the people who made this game had a, a vision for how they wanted it to be. They put everything they had into making it that way. If that can take you through the game, then I think you should play. Uh, actually, and I also think that anyone who wants to kind of take a trip through the history of gaming, I think Earthbound is a, a stop on that tour that you should take. Uh, but I, I just, I just don't know how many people are going to actually make it to the end of earthbound because I think mechanically it's, it's just so, I don't even want to say outdated because some games that came out at the same time, I think are way, way better mechanically. I think earthbound is pretty bad in a lot of mechanical ways. So the only thing I want to push back on is that is, um, because the one thing I could say very easily and be like, well, look at Pokemon. Yeah, that game sells gangbusters, and they have not changed anything up until last month. <laughs> for well, I'll push back. Years. I'll push back on that because Pokemon has not changed the core thing, but there's been so much quality of life introduced. However, I will agree with you that Pokemon Red and Blue, if you go back and play those today, they are. But if we're talking about pure battle mechanics, it is very much a distilled rock paper scissors. If you're using water against electric or electric against water however that works you know what i mean yeah 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 <laughs> it's very you're just you're just gonna fly through the game it's the same thing attack use thunderbolt win the game it's yeah incredibly simple and that's that is what earthbound is so yeah. i'll use final fantasy 6 i think you mentioned that and that came out the exact same year as earthbound yeah you have you have the esper system you have yeah. relics you have custom moves that you can add to your characters. You yeah. have basically what amounts to like QTEs in battles for like what they considered limit breaks and stuff like that. Yeah, for yeah. you have this very robust system, which I will say is incredibly good, but I don't know how your approach exactly is with your show and recommending stuff. But for me, I'm usually re recommending games based on people who are probably new to the genre of the game that I am talking about. And so mm -hmm. with Earthbound, like I, like I think I said, it's 
incredibly approachable to somebody who hasn't played it before. I think somebody who goes to something like Final Fantasy VI and they've never played a JRPG before are going to be like, what the fuck is happening? Uh, uh, especially when it comes down to localization, because so much of that stuff is not explained very well in a lot of those games. I don't know, man. Final Fantasy VI was my first... That was my first JRPG, other than Pokemon. Final Fantasy VI was my first, and I, I didn't have a... I, I definitely wasn't confused by what was going on. I don't think people will get confused in Earthbound, uh, but yeah, I just don't think mechanically this is something i'm going to recommend to i'm not going to recommend this to someone as their first jrpg and i'm not going to recommend this to someone who is like i need would you my ever JRPGs. recommend pokemon as somebody's first jrpg pokemon's like not when i think of jrpgs i almost don't even think of pokemon because they're so off to the side doing their own thing compared to what a lot of other games do so uh, like I would it's recommend a JRPG. <laughs> I would recommend like Final Fantasy X or uh, Persona Five or something as their first JRPG, and then they'll take the rest of their life to play Persona Five, and <laughs> uh, <laughs> then I'll never talk to them again. But anyway, like the point I'm trying to get at is like I think the people I'm going to recommend Earthbound to are people who can suffer through what I think are bad mechanical things in a lot of ways or just really old mechanical things in a lot of ways if you can suffer through that because a a good story with a good cast of characters and like fantastic writing can pull mm -hmm. you through i'll recommend it to you i'll recommend it to other people who uh are like i've heard so much about earthbound it's clearly a big part of gaming history I will recommend it to you. Go check it out. If that's the kind of, if you feel like you want to play all of these, you know, major things throughout gaming history. But for people who are like, I really like the battle system in Final Fantasy X, and I love the battle system. I love Persona 5 because it has a great battle system. And I love uh, Chrono Trigger because it has an interesting battle system. Then I don't know if Earthbound is going to be for those people. And this is one of the first games on the show where I have to make all these qualifiers for who I'm going to recommend this game to. <laughs> other than like, you know, I'm obviously I'm not going to recommend Bloodborne to everybody, uh, even though I think it's a really great game. Earthbound is one of the first games where I have a lot of qualifiers for who I would recommend this to. I get what you're saying, because when I, I talked about a game that came out last year, Eastward. I've talked about it on my show. Yeah. And that is a game that plays terribly. Like, everything about that game, the combat is awful. But similar to you in Earthbound, what drove me through that game was the character, graphics, music, everything else around that. It was not the combat. The combat sucked. <laughs> so <Yeah. laughs> That's I totally how I get feel. what you're coming from. Yeah, yeah I, I get it. That's kind of how I feel here. So, like, uh, I'm just, I'll be honest. Um, if I was just playing this for my own enjoyment without the promise of doing a podcast with you, Keith, or if I wasn't playing emulated uh, with the benefit of save states, I can say confidently I would not have finished this game. I, mm -hmm. I would have gotten the flavor of the first couple of cities. I maybe would have made it to the point where you get Paula, but maybe not. Yeah, I, I, I wouldn't have finished this without either of those components and probably a combination of both. Uh, mm. I, that being said, I'm glad I did see the end because I we'll get into in the spoiler section. I think there's some really cool stuff 
later in the game that um, would have been a shame for me to miss it. Um, yeah, so that's kind of my final thoughts. I am looking forward to replaying and like trying to finish Mother 3. I've started it twice. This time I have some actual hardware to play it on and not some shitty, you know, iPhone Game Boy Advance <laughs> illegal emulator, you know. <laughs> so Did you ever play the first? Did you play Mother? No, never. You want to talk about an aged video game. I was going to say, yeah, I have a feeling <laughs> that fucking rough. I I, sh- I should just let that one lie, you know. I yeah, I dropped Mother for all the right reasons. And I yeah. dropped Mother 3 because I was just an idiot. So yeah, I, I want to go back to Mother 3 eventually. Same. So uh, before we get into spoilers, one more time, uh, Keith, can you tell people where they can find the Main Quest podcast other than in my show notes? Well, that <laughs> basically defeats my whole <laughs> rant here at the end. Um, so whatever you're listening to this podcast on, you can find my podcast there as well and if it is not there you can email me at mainquestpod at gmail.com uh, you can shoot me a message on my instagram account where i'm the most active um, it will probably take me like a day or two to see that email if you send me one uh, but i will see it uh, otherwise yeah you can contact me on instagram that is the main quest and uh, i actually post a lot of stuff relating to the show on there uh you can see what's coming up on the show i post the schedule pretty regularly and a little bit of other just gaming related stuff uh my twitter is a dumpster fire but if you want to go check <laughs> that out that is underscore that is at underscore main quest twitter is a dumpster fire for everybody so yeah <laughs> no no worries if yours is as well yeah, so I think that everybody should go check out the Main Quest podcast. It is uh, it's one of the podcasts that uh, every new episode I check out basically day and date. Um, one of Thank the you. few podcasts, this is a big compliment for you, Keith. One of the few podcasts that I will listen to, even if I've never played the game or heard of it before, I have a Aww. big problem where if someone's like, uh, you know, this episode, we're going to talk about Final Fantasy two. And I'm like, I haven't played. I don't. I'm not going to listen to that. I. It's. It's just really hard for me to get connected. You know, if I haven't played that game, sure. but I do like listening to the main quest. Uh, no matter what game you're talking about, that means a lot, dude. Thank you. Yeah, it's good. So everyone, go check that out. Um, and uh, I can't wait until you get into some more current games. You can start talking about some actual good games, Keith. I. You know, if a good game <laughs> comes across, man, I will play it absolutely. Yeah. Uh, actually, I can't wait for you to get to the N64 generation uh, because, uh, in my opinion, I don't. Did you have an N64 even? Yeah, I thought we were going to talk about good games that okay. I'm going to talk about. <laughs> Ooh, okay. In my opinion, uh, a lot of our favorite N64 games have aged horribly, so I can't wait for you to experience that. <laughs> Shout out, I guess, on your show, uh, Chris Copeland from Retro Hangover, who says N64 graphics looks like somebody just took vaseline and smeared it all over the screen (laughs) yeah exactly what those games look like yep uh so a little bit of housekeeping before we get into the spoiler section if you're going to tap out now because you don't want spoilers for earthbound we've already given you um uh, a long look at earthbound but if you're going to tap out now thank you for listening thus far and if you would like to support tales from the backlog 
Please subscribe on your platform of choice. Leave ratings and reviews. Uh, ratings and reviews emphasis on uh, because those are helpful. And um, yeah, spread the good word. Tell people about the show. I would appreciate that. Find me on social media. Talk to me about Earthbound or any other game that I am covering on the show. You can find all of my links in the show notes as well. I also do a podcast called A Top 3 Podcast, where each episode, my friends and I pick a topic. and We give our top threes in that topic. That show is a good time. We talk about video games sometimes, but most of the time it's about other stuff. You know, you want to hear me talk about something that's <laughs> not video games. Um, yeah, go check that out. Sorry, I, I'm just... I swear I have other things I can talk about. <laughs> I'm just cracking up because, yeah, it's... It's if you guys listen to the show and you don't listen to a top three, you definitely should check that out. It's hilarious. It's a good time. So yeah, to check that out, that will the top three stuff is also in the show notes if you want to check that out. But you can find it on any other um, any of the podcast platforms as well. So we are going to take a break. When we come back, it is spoiler time. We're going to talk about mostly story stuff for Earthbound. I'm back with Keith. We're talking about spoilers for Earthbound. And uh, we already talked about a few of the kind of notable encounters. We talked about Frankie and how I was like, oh, no, I have to grind here. So we already talked about that. Um, So I guess like, I don't know, just some before we get to talking about Gigas and stuff like that. um, I thought the uh, what are they called? The Runaway Five every section with the runaway five was very funny how they just keep getting themselves into these like horrible situations with like terrible theater management and all of this debt. And then like, I don't know, riding the bus with them playing the song to scare away the ghosts and stuff like that. It was, uh, (laughs) just another one of those, like they, they just seemingly have an endless pool of references to pull from and make something entertaining in the game. And uh, the Runaway Five was really, really cool. I really like them. Yeah, they're definitely one of, I guess, like the best, some of the best characters in the game. And you you encounter them so frequently within mm-hmm. the journey that they're just kind of like this constant reminder. It's one of those things that this game does. It's just this constant reminder of where you came from, how far you've come. Um, I will say, though, I don't know how you feel about this, and maybe this is just indicative to how much I've actually played this game. Yeah. <laughs> I hate having to watch that show every single time. Yeah, <laughs> I hate I, it. I watched, I watched it the first time, and then the second time I, it was playing while I was looking at my phone, you know. Yeah, I, I definitely just wanted to skip. It's the same thing with the performance uh, that Venus does. It's mm-hmm. just, I just want to skip it every time. And it's not even like on a technical basis that great. Even like, like the, the opera part in Final Fantasy VI was kind of like this huge technical moment for the sound chip and everything like that, that they did with that. But even like going back to that, that's, that doesn't even sound good anymore. Um, 
yeah, I don't know. That that's just one of the more annoying things that I'm just like, I just they should have made an option for you just to be able to skip this. <laughs> you know? That's yeah, that's an issue with a lot of games in general, especially older games where they're like, No, you can't skip any of this. This is <laughs> We spent, you know, we spent like a year and a half of our lives putting together this Runaway 5 scene. You are not skipping it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah. But, yeah, and then just the way, like, I mean, I can hear the music playing in my head right now. Like, when you get on that tour bus and yeah. you're uh, driving past the ghosts in the tunnel or whatever. <laughs> they're, yeah, they're one of the best the best character, characters in the game. I think Venus was kind of, um, it's kind of a rehash of that, like kind of unnecessary uh because she um oh wait no i'm thinking about something else that happens in moonside uh where you have to track down like this uh this alien that's basically like this lady or whatever there's um so as far as earthbound goes i think it's easy to separate it into kind of like two different like moods because there's like there's pre-moonside which is kind of like this very grounded story with like some elements of sci-fi in there or whatever yeah and then there's like post boon side when everything just becomes like this existential like weird sci-fi crap where you're trying to deal with like your inner self <laughs> um it, yeah. it just really goes super off the rails after everything that happens in Moonside. And the fact that you like go into like this prehistoric land and your characters are only like two pixels tall or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. That was, that was really cool. Like when that happened, like again, being in there and walking around and like fighting the dinosaurs wasn't very fun for me, but like no. be, being in there and seeing how they changed it. So like they made your characters so tiny. I was like, I don't know. I just got like this, very lizard brain like that's cool you know i i have a question for you yeah was there a point in this game where you just hit a marker story beat where you're just like i'm feel like i'm done with this game like like it was just was there a point where you're thinking like this is too long i do think this game's too long yeah uh but i can't really pin it on like one specific story beat because i like all this i like all the story that you get at all of these mm -hmm. parts um especially when you get like kind of halfway through the game and pokey starts uh being an asshole again and so like i i really i enjoyed that so i don't know i can't really pinpoint one thing but i can say definitively if they if you had to get five music uh tracks instead of eight I, it would have been a little bit more enjoyable. I just yeah. think a lot of games are too long. And I do think there's a lot of stuff in Earthbound that like it's cool in the moment, but if you cut it out of the game, I don't think it would be a worse game because of it. Yeah, I feel like that point always hits for me around like, uh, what is it called? Uh, uh, Tenda Village, which is I think right before or after the dinosaur area. Uh-huh. Um yeah. I think it's right after Deep Darkness, the the swamp area or whatever. Mhm. Mm and I feel like the the tendas are just kind of like more of Mr. Saturn almost in a way. They oh, they do yeah, have their it, own personality and stuff like that, but 
I, I don't know. It's every time I reach that part of the game, I'm just like, oh yeah, okay. Uh, yeah. This part. I'll tell you where where the game started to drag for me is in the. Basically, I think a lot of the dungeons in the back half of the game really suck. Like uh, the gold mine is a. Uh, I think I texted you when I was like really mad about this. I think the gold mine is a horrible, like the encounters specifically. That's the one where you have to go through and you have to fight the, I think it's five mole mini bosses. And just the fact that the enemies respawn as soon as you leave their screen, the enemies are kind of hard. I I, like, I got stuck so badly in this dungeon uh, that I think I like over leveled by the end of it and they give you a, they give you a helper. They give you those exit, the exit mouse in the middle of that dungeon. Um, But earlier in the game, I had picked up an exit mouse, found it to be totally useless. So I left it somewhere. I think I sent it away with S cargo express. So then when you talk to the mother mouse in the gold mine, she's like, take one of my children. He'll help you. And I was like, yes, please give me one of your children. And then she was like, oh, you already <laughs> took one. Sorry. Nope. You can't have one. So I was just like, okay, I guess I'm boned in here. So like there were just several times when I would like, they were basically grinding missions through that gold mine where I would drag my ass to one of those moles, kill it, then drag my ass out of the dungeon to heal and um i'm so glad they don't respawn like i'm so glad you don't have to fight all five of them in one go but it was horrible as is and then like a lot of the other dungeons i just didn't think were very fun they're very basic when you talk about like the contemporary stuff that was out at the time they're very rudimentary like when you're even talking about like the battle mechanics of this game um again a, a lot of earthbound is what came before it and then just distilling it down in the simplest form. And unfortunately, yeah. So some of those dungeons are not some of the, definitely not the worst that I've played uh, as far as retro games go, but yeah, they can, especially, (laughs) especially the, yeah, the gold mine. I was, when you were texting me that I was like, I don't know. Cause I can't relate anymore because I've played it so much that I'm just like, I know exactly where to go and what to do, but oh I, right, yeah, I definitely no, yeah, it, it it's a rough part of the game for sure if you're coming into it blind. Yeah, is it Moonside that it, I forget the name when uh, the the big city goes Bizarro World? That's Moonside, yep. right? Yeah, yep. I I thought Moonside sucked from a gameplay perspective, like from a flavor and atmosphere and story perspective, it's really cool, uh, but gameplay it's so hard that i was like this is i would save state basically save state my way through all the screens uh to get through that and i did the same thing in the final dungeon too uh after you turn into robots <laughs> which god what a weird fucking game but i was just yeah, like saving my cave. way through these huh i was gonna say yeah you turned into robots and then you go into the vagina cave yeah oh yeah i forgot you fight the womb yeah, I totally, totally forgot that that is part of that, uh, part of that thing. Yeah, that's very strange. Um, but yeah, a lot of those dungeons at the end, I like back half of the game, I thought were really not fun, uh, except for Dungeon Man. Dungeon Man rules. 
I think part of the thing too is that they're incredibly linear and that can get pretty monotonous at times. Uh, there's sometimes you can go off like the beaten path and find like a present and right. you might be able to find something of use in there as long as, long as you've got the inventory space. Uh, you could probably find something useful in there, but most of the time it's very much just kind of like a straight path to the boss. So one of the more memorable moments for me is after, uh, so you fight, I think he's called like electric specter or something like that. He's like this giant metal thing with like sound waves all, all around him and everything. The one thing we didn't actually talk about is the backgrounds of, of the battle screens. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. The battle screens. We didn't talk about that at all. Yeah. Uh, We didn't talk about visuals much. We should have. I mean, I think the game looks absolutely great. It's, I think it holds up graphically. Oh, for sure. Yeah. At at the time, like this had like, um, it had like the, the wind waker effect where besides for like the absolutely awful marketing campaign that Nintendo did for this game, (laughs) a lot of the reasons why people didn't play earthbound is because they're like well this looks like a child's game just like the way they did with wind waker Um, right and all those people were wrong (laughs) but it so yeah that was that's just one of those things that um didn't help the sales of earthbound because people looked at final fantasy 6 and they're like holy shit this looks so awesome super realistic whatever and then you've got earthbound which by today's standards still looks really great. And then it's got those battle screens in which the backgrounds are like this weird uh, psychedelic magic eye fuckery that... (laughs) Yeah, like kaleidoscope shit. Yeah, the guy who designed those made 500 different one of those. Jesus. um, It was just something that he was doing in his free time. And I think Somebody saw him. I don't know if it was a toy or not, but he was just like, can you make more of those so we can put it in the game? And he's like, hell yeah. <laughs> so it's just like this one guy who made like <laughs> a ton of those. It's, it's I think you can like go on starman.net or like Google it. And it's just like this huge one, just JPEG picture of all of like a sample of all of them. <laughs> it's oh, that's fucking cool. crazy looking. But yeah, um, what was I talking about? So, oh, so like Blue Mine Hall is like, we haven't really talked about like the seriousness of this game and like how serious it can kind of get, but yeah, we're this is one of the scenes. Yeah. This is one of the scenes that actually kind of always hits me no matter what. Um, because after you beat that boss, you are in this like cavern and there's like this, I don't know what you want to call it. Like it, it looks like something you would see in Times Square. It's like this rolling what do you call it it's almost like an led board in like the middle of this cave yeah and it has like this text scrolling on it or whatever and you get this like really kind of heartfelt message being like look at how far you've come blah 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 you know if you went through all this hardship but again there's there are definite areas where this game gets incredibly there's incredible incredibly high difficulty spikes like the gold mine that we talked mm-hmm. about yep but then you catch like this moment of like ness as a baby with his dad and his mom um and you're just again it's one of those moments where you have to remember like oh these are just kids 
and then it, I don't know, it just makes me feel nostalgic for my own childhood. Um, and it's just like this really nice, touching moment. And you, it's just like, oh, this all started because Ness woke up in the middle of the night because of a meteor crash. You know, right? And um, they go through this whole adventure. They they get home. They literally get homesick. Um, some of them get kidnapped and um, really just being pushed in like these very uncomfortable situations as much as I ragged on Pooh, I mean, he literally has to like give up his being to like, it's like this very interesting little like, uh, like self-reflective boss fight that you have that as a kid, like I had no idea how to fight this thing, but it was literally just like, no, you have to let this being take your arms, take your legs, yeah, take your eyes, and basically, like, just take your consciousness. And it's just, like, this very, like, really weird, like, Buddhist, like, super deep Buddhist teaching or something that it's just, like, far beyond any, like, child's <laughs> understanding. Yeah, for you sure. You know? That it's just, that like, was... it's in this game where, like, one minute, like you said, you're you're fighting this guy who becomes a dungeon himself. <laughs> yeah. That uh, that thing with Pooh when he's he's going through his trial was uh pretty brutal. Like you're right. Like so, so the game goes kind of like turns on a dime sometimes from like you know very funny and pop culture references and you know stuff like that to Pooh's going through this mental trial where the person you have to basically accept he's like okay now I'm gonna take your legs and you're like ooh oh, okay interesting. All right, now I'm going to take your arms. Uh, okay, I don't like the sound of this. And then he's like, now I'm going to take your eyes. And I'm like, oh, Jesus Christ, Like, what? what is happening here? And that, yeah. whole thing, that whole thing started, I actually got confused during that part because you have to uh, sit perfectly still and like people will come and like distract you. They'll say like, Pooh, you're, you know, your father wants you, but you have to like ignore everything. And mm-hmm. uh, that was interesting. There's a couple parts you know that remember that part under the waterfall where uh, oh, you say man. the password and you have to like put the controller down for three minutes or something. That's that's or else... one of those things that like I find <laughs> completely unforgivable. But the fact that the game came with a player's guide was like, yeah, because like if you didn't have a player's guide, you would just have at that point in the game you'd have no idea what to do. Yeah, the only you would put the control. You would say fuck this, put the controller down. And then you'd walk back to it 15 minutes later and the door's open. That's the only right. way you would figure yeah. it out. <laughs> it's, you're right. It's, it's basically, it's very hostile towards the player, but at the same time, it's very funny if you're playing with the player's guide, both of those scenarios where you have to basically sit and do nothing. The one with Pooh, yeah. I guess you could figure it out if you kind of understand that, you know, idea that you're supposed to block out all of the outside noise and stuff like that another part of the game that always kind of affects me is when we are first introduced to jeff when his part in winters or whatever with his dad kind of well not even that so i was until i did my research for the show i would always get to that part and like i don't know if it's just the visual look of winters. I don't know if it's the combination of the music and that, or just the dialogue, but I always just got like, 
even as a child, kind of like the somber, it just has a somber tone to it. I don't know if you got that as well. Only from the kind of like upfront relationship between Jeff and his dad, where like he works with his dad, but he doesn't call him dad. He calls him, you know, like Dr. So-and-so. And it's, I think it's only at the end of the game when they're ever like, you know, Jeff and his dad have a, you know, loving family relationship now, if I'm remembering that right. That's the so only I'm gonna, one. So I'm going to be the weird fanboy and probably read into this and it probably means nothing at all. But I found out, I always kind of felt it, not only with, uh, by the way, his his dad's name is Dr. and Donuts. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. <laughs> so um but also with uh jeff's friend tony who also is like his schoolmate or whatever Mm -hmm. and um so i found out that itoy wanted to specifically make sure to know that like jeff and tony were like in a couple like they were in a relationship actually okay and i now like now knowing that like looking at the dialogue and then like also realizing that jeff has like this now greater responsibility or whatever to go help ness and paula and then knowing that him and his father have like this kind of frayed relationship that might have to do with his sexuality is kind of like oh huh. yeah like I all can right say that like no wonder i always kind of got this weird tone to this part of the game because it just seems a little more sad than usual than than it should yeah that makes sense in a way like because also this was i already forgot the year 1995 1994 in japan yeah, right Four ninety five. yep i i have a hard time believing that a popular jrpg would put something like that front and center in a game you know at, mm. at that time it, it it's only even very recently actually that's not true because silent hill 2 came out in uh 2000 and they deal with all kinds of weird shit uh but 2001 um but like actually in jrpgs uh, i haven't played a lot of uh the shin megami tensei games so i know they go into some stuff persona is obviously kind of famous for that kind of stuff too but like these older older jrpgs don't go into stuff like that a whole lot so that would make sense um if there if there is merit to it it would make sense that it's very very coded and not front and center that that's the reason why jeff and his dad have such a distant relationship there yeah i'm being presumptuous about the relationship between him and his father but a toy definitely has said that Tony is gay. So okay. you know that much, but as far as anything beyond that, like I'm just kind of making stuff up, trying to eh. put the puzzle pieces together. But I mean, even if you are making stuff up, I don't think it's um I don't think it's a huge stretch at all to put the puzzle pieces together that way. So yeah. I'm... I put I was just gonna say also like you have to think about that this was this game was very much targeted at Americans, and um, I mean, we're still dealing with issues around sexuality today, but it was very much, like, not an accepted or talked about thing back in the 90s. Right. Yeah. For sure. 
Let's uh So did Go ahead. I was going to say did so did you want to talk about this final boss or Yeah. So I was going to say like first I just want to mention we danced around this in the non-spoiler section, but I think one of the coolest moments in the game is uh before the final boss um when you go to this like Ness's subconscious level and you're going around talking to all the people that you've met throughout the journey and stuff like that. And then at the end of it, you, you basically, you defeat the phantom version of Ness and you get, uh, and this is like the coolest fucking thing. I don't know why more games don't do this. You get the ultimate level up. Right. And I think it's random, right? I heard it's random. Um, but in my game, uh, Ness got like 500 extra HP and like enough, basically enough, uh, PP to like never worry about using spells ever again. And it basically, it turned Ness into, uh, like a monster basically, uh, <laughs> not in a bad way. He, Ness is a powerhouse yeah, yeah. after this. And like, this is the coolest thing, man. Like you're, you go through this like super empowering story moment and you're character mechanically is now a powerhouse i don't know why more rpgs especially jrpgs where like your levels and stuff like this really matter why are they so afraid to do this it's really cool it's such a it's such a corny on its face it's such a corny way to show like character progression but also it's like incredibly practical it makes total sense for what's happening in the game yeah and there's so many other games where you go through similar, like you've overcome something or like there is some, just like there's so many JRPGs where your character has, you know, gone super Saiyan for whatever, you know, lack of a, a better <laughs> yeah. example. Um, but it's not reflect, you don't gain 25 levels and you don't gain 700 hit points by doing it. And it's the end of Earthbound so they can do this and, you know, the end of the game is kind of built around this where Ness is basically invincible after this. But like, I don't know. I think it's really cool. And I think, you know, if another game were to copy this, it would also be cool because it's a really empowering moment. It's a moment that's supposed to feel empowering for Ness as a character. And then it does mechanically as well. It's really, you know, I like that a lot. And for all intents and purposes, you're not like invincible, but it is just like, Oh yeah, thank you. I now I don't have to go into this final boss and be worried about where I need to be level wise. <laughs> right, know? exactly. And I I didn't know that it was random. I would assume that there's probably like a ceiling that is hit where it's like depending on what level you're already at, it will just so like if you're at level, you know, 25, it'll level you up to like 35 no matter what or something like that. I would assume there's a ceiling and a floor for how many levels or how many hit points and how many PP you get uh, in that big level up. I, I would assume that you're not just, you're not going to hit that. And it's like, congrats, you gained five HP. You're yeah, not going to get yeah, that. Yeah. And you're not going to gain 7,000 HP either, but um, it's enough to Ness can still die and stuff, obviously, but like, it's enough to where like you've made it this far in the game. You understand the combat system Ness is basically invincible unless you fuck around, mm. I think. Yeah. So, yeah, let's talk about that final boss. So, um, yeah, go ahead. I was just going to say, do you know the whole, like, theory out there? And I don't really 
I could see where people get this theory. I don't necessarily subscribe to it, but the whole game is actually about um, abortion, which in a lot of ways, like I could see where people get that, especially leading up to that final encounter, but I don't know. Yeah, my without seeing the theory, my first instinct is uh, that people have had, oh, 20, oh, I'm doing math, 28 years to dissect and analyze this game. And it's <laughs> yeah given people enough time to come up with some theories that are far beyond what the developers were going for, I think. I think. Uh, this I But I'm, me as a person, I'm generally very... Uh, anti-fan theory because i think i I just think fans take it too far uh, a lot of times right Um, so yeah i don't buy it but i haven't seen that theory i'm sure that you know someone has had long enough to go beat by beat and find a way to make it work for whatever theory they have Uh, this is i've been seeing some theories around bloodborne recently that i think also work the same way where people are like you know, I will make this plot beat twist to fit my personal theory instead of working from what the plot gives you to like kind of figure out what it what what is the plot actually saying. That's what I think, but I haven't seen that theory. Uh, I did not for a second uh, play this game and think this is about abortion. Like not for one, not even when you're literally walking down some fucking fallopian tubes. <laughs> Never. <laughs> Yeah, I don't know like the theory verbatim, so I'm not even going to really repeat it, but I it's floating out there and take it for what it's worth, yeah. you know. Yeah. Uh, it could be interesting reading if anyone wants to read up on it. They I guess they're you could have your your cursed Google search earthbound abortion <laughs> and see where that takes you. But the final boss uh, against Gigas, I think is really cool because it. I was definitely not expecting this. I was expecting fighting Lavos, you know, something like that. And this is not that. Yeah, it's like this weird, like, you know, Lovecraftian thing. You know, we talked about the backgrounds briefly and how they are just kind of like this weird uh, psychedelic type of background. And that's kind of what the whole thing with Gigas is it's just that background. There's not any one enemy on the screen, really. It's just this thing that you cannot comprehend. Yeah. I think it even says that. I think the game, like some of the text even says like, you can't process what this thing is. And I think that's super cool. Yeah. And it's, um, it's not one. I thinking back to like a final fantasy four, the battle, in Final Fantasy IV and Earthbound, our final battles are very similar. Um, you know, you at some point you just realize that you're not going to be able to kill this thing, and so then you kind of eventually start as your team members are fucking just getting hammered and, and slowly dying <laughs> or whatever. You have to, and I don't know how you found this out. Maybe you read the guide or whatever, but eventually you just realize uh, there's this ability that paula has called prey and you don't really use it that much throughout the game you can i um i think it does i'll take it it one step further dude it is useless throughout the game 
in my opinion. It d- sometimes it does. It, it It's kind of like a dice roll in a lot of ways where it's like sometimes it'll do something. Sometimes it might heal a status ailment or it might heal somebody or it might heal the entire party, but it's completely random. And most of the time it does, like you said, it does nothing. It's it's completely, you may as well just not use it at all because if you're in trouble and you need to use that, there's no way you're relying on it. <laughs> right, yeah. So, um, so that you start using, so that's like your only way out of this and you start praying and all of a sudden the the battle takes this twist where you're revisiting parts of the game or you're revisiting certain characters that have helped you along on the journey. Uh, it's akin to essentially Goku's spirit bomb where Paula is just asking for everybody's strength to right. essentially turn Gigas, Gigas into nothing. And um, yeah, which is, this is, I mean, this isn't again, like, like I've said plenty of times, earthbound isn't, inherently doing anything new it's just what it does with its the sum of its parts and it turns it into something that's a little more endearing than fighting god at the end of final fantasy 4 <laughs> so i i don't i actually thought that gigas was new ish like i guess i haven't played final fantasy 4 so maybe that plays into it but like i thought it was really cool that first of all gigas is not this big just a big alien monster uh it's literally this cosmic horror that you cannot process or comprehend that's cool i thought it's also cool that gigas is not smart like gigas is not this intelligent creature from beyond it's just this idiot force of chaos basically and like there's parts in the fight where gigas like clearly doesn't understand what's happening at uh during the fight and you get some moments of pathos for Gigas because it's like Gigas is in pain and it doesn't understand why and stuff like that. And you're like, oh, I did not expect to feel bad for this cosmic, you know, entity of chaos at the end of this game. But you do get that. Uh, So I thought that was very unique, uh, especially for a final boss fight. I'll be honest, dude. um, I think the boss fights in this game are kind of uniformly uh frustrating i'll say uh like i think i mentioned this earlier in the show but like i feel like most boss fights are very rng dependent like are they going to use their their party wipe move four times in a row if so i lose and if not i win um so i was really gearing up for a really frustrating and bad boss fight here and i was like so happy both with like the you know theming and like how this fight actually works um, and with like the characterization of Gigas, uh, at the end, I, I really like this a lot. Um, but you asked, uh, how I would figure out about the praying thing. Um, I was reading the guide, so I knew to do it. If I was not reading a guide, I would have never figured this out. And so I don't know, is there a clue in the actual game itself that you should be praying? Because like, I, like I said earlier, I used pray when I first got Paula, I used Prey a few times just to see what it did. I quickly learned that it was basically useless or unreliable is a better word. Uh, so I would have never thought to use it at the end. I don't know what. Yeah. Do Do you remember, like, since you've played this game more times than me, is there a clue in the game itself that you should be using it? I'm trying to 
think. And I'm not. So the first time I beat this game when I was a kid, I got to Gigas and I was at my friend's house. And it was my first time fighting this dude. And I did not have the guide with me. I did not have the yeah. guide with me. And so I was just, as you can imagine, not doing very well at the fight at all. <laughs> yeah. And um, after a couple of tries, I just don't, I don't know what triggered me to think like, well, I'm just going to hit prey because I literally have done everything else in my power. Yeah. And then when you think in the context of what praying is and when people, and I don't mean this like in a, in a terrible way or don't take this as like something being negative, but when people are in desperate times, usually they just yeah. rely on a prayer, no matter what of it course. is. They try to talk to a higher power or whatever to get them through whatever's happening. And so in a lot of ways, I was like, so I hit pray and then all of a sudden a new, a different message came up yeah, and something, something happened. different was happening on screen. Yes. And then me and my friend unanimously just fucking started freaking out. But by that time, like it was already too late in the battle because Gigas will still attack you. Right. And so yeah. at that point, like Paula dies anyway, I start over and now I know, oh, I have to hit prey at some point. I have to keep doing this. And that's how I originally found out. Now, since then, since I have played this game so many times and I know that now. Right. I honestly cannot tell you if the game even clues you in that you need to do that. Because, yeah, because I didn't, I was praying right from the beginning. So I don't know if you go through this fight and like someone, you know, there's dialogue from one of your characters or something that says, hey, uh, we need to try something different or something like that. But it sounds like you guys, I think it sounds like the, thought process that you guys had to try praying is the intended thought process where you're literally like, I don't know what else to do. Might as well pray. You know, I think that if I were to put myself in the developer's shoes, I think that's, but I, I think that's the thought process that they're intending. But I also like, I like that in theory, but in practice, I would have been very frustrated because I, I would have thought like, okay, I could hit prey, but prey has been useless this entire game. So it's not going to mm-hmm. be the first thing I go towards, but right. that's just me. But that, you, you got it and you were a little kid. So who knows, you know, <laughs> <laughs> but also like earthbound wasn't my first JRPG either. Mm-hmm. I don't know if that's an excuse or not either way. Um, I was going to say something, but I lost my thought. That's all right. This is a very cool moment at the end when you're when you're praying and you're getting strength from all of the people around the world. It's kind of like a it's one of two uh basically tours through your adventure from beginning to end, I guess. And uh that oh, was I was a, gonna I remember what I was gonna say, I'm sorry. Yeah, that, I was just gonna say that was a really cool moment as you're going through because you have to pray like I don't know, eight times or something like that, or 16 times. It's a lot. Uh, yeah, you, it's quite a while. You get all of these people throughout your adventure um, praying for you. And like, I think it's one of a handful of moments where I was like kind of getting these, uh, you know, chills as you go through the story. Yeah, good moment. So what I going back real quick to whether or not the game uh, tells you if you need to pray or not, 
there is a moment before you essentially like the la- the last fight takes place in the future uh-huh. <laughs> so w- before you head off into the future there is kind of like this little bit of prep talk or not prep talk pep talk there's a pep talk that you have with everybody before you leave and so i wonder if there's maybe like a drop line of dialogue in there where they're like everybody's counting on you and you know last minutes of desperation we'll all be here for you or something or maybe there's something like that in there but otherwise yeah. Yeah, I, I don't really know there might be but anyway um i think we've we've gotten through that like you arrived at that conclusion uh you're not the first person that i've heard explain it that way as the way that they've come to that conclusion uh basically like exhausted all their other options and so they're like fuck it i guess it's just dumb I'll, luck see what prey does you know so thinking as like in a critical way i don't think that that's great mechanically but thematically it's very cool and if you are able to Mm -hmm. come to it naturally it's even cooler i think so um yeah i guess like after you beat gigas uh we already talked about how at the end you can kind of go back through the world and talk to people and they have different things to say. They'll thank you for like saving the world, which I'm sure that was probably like really cool at the time as you were doing that. And like I said before, most games don't do this. People are barely aware that you saved the universe at the end of most games. If you're even allowed to go talk to people at the end. Um, but the last thing that I wanted to mention is uh, throughout the game, you'll get stopped at key moments throughout the story by the photography guy. Yes, yes, yes. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, as I was playing this, number one, uh, this was very helpful for me to know that I was on the right track. You know, I was making progress like, oh, I'm supposed to be here. The camera guy's here. Uh, So that was cool. But I knew from the very beginning I was going to get a slideshow at the end of the credits. Like I figured that out. Um, And it was awesome. I love it. It's so cool. Give okay. me slideshows. So my question is, did you like it when it was happening in the game, though? Yes. Because I know there's a lot of people that have scrutinized that. It was just like, well, it always just stops the game dead. And I'm like, dude, it's only like 30 yeah, seconds. Yeah, it's 10 seconds long. And like I said, <laughs> right. it's like I said, like when the camera guy came, I instantly knew like, okay, this is where I'm supposed to be. Because the camera die doesn't just come randomly. He only comes when you get to the next story beat, you know? Right, right. So I appreciated that as like some positive reinforcement. And then I knew at the end I was going to get a slideshow of those pictures. And uh, I love it. I, I love any game that gives you a like the adventure at like in the credits or something like that. I love when any game does that especially games that are long, you know, because I don't remember all these story beats at the end of the game. So there was a lot of times those pictures came up and I was like, oh yeah, I remember that. I remember, you know, the picture with Dungeon Man and stuff like that. So yeah. 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 I really, yeah. I always really like that stuff. But one of my, it's not in this game, but one of my favorite things when I talk about it on my show a lot when it happens is when um, basically during the credit scene, you will get almost like a a a staff role or something as if the video game was a movie and it gives you all of the credits of like the characters and the enemy characters and all their names and stuff like that Mm -hmm. Um, and this is kind of one of those things it's not exactly that but 
yeah, getting to just to look at all of like the places you visited. And what, once again, one of those things where it's like, man, you just killed like this alien being that you cannot even conceptualize, you know, and you know, oh, here we are, uh, you know, getting hot dogs in this uh, summer resort town or whatever. Like, <laughs> you know, just, just really makes yeah. it super down to earth. And exactly. Uh, it's 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 good shit man yeah uh, so my so as somebody who is a photographer and has worked with many photographers who have said the word fuzzy pickles to their um subjects oh, yeah. the people they're photographing i always sit there and i wonder did you ever play earthbound like did you is this did, do you know why you're saying this and i don't know if fuzzy pickles came from earthbound like I don't know if it was like I don't know if it was the first thing in media to use fuzzy pickles, but right. I mean, I can't think of anything else. Right. Honestly, yeah, I got to imagine it came from Earthbound, and then some photographer. It's like a thing that like a bunch of photographers are like, you know what? I don't actually know why I say fuzzy pickles. The guy who taught me photography, he said fuzzy pickles, right. and it's like one of these like inside you know, inside baseball things that like only photographers understand, but it's actually from earthbound. So none of them I, understand. I, as I mean, <laughs> I have never used it because I think it's just, I, I'm, I feel like it's going to be one of those things where I'm going to say it. And it's going to be that awkward moment where that person is just gonna be like, Oh, I played earthbound too. And then I'm like, well, I don't want to talk to you anymore. Like, this just got <laughs> yeah, <awkward."> exactly. <laughs> so it's like, do you want to ask the cameraman if they played earthbound earthbound? But you know in your head, if the answer is yes, then they're going to want to talk to you about it, or they're not going to want to, and they're going to be like, oh, God, I, I got to stop saying fuzzy pickles. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Just say cheese that's like I'm, a regular person. That's why I've never <laughs> brought it up to like anybody that I've worked with or whatever. I'm just yeah, like... It's, it's a lose-lose. It's just going to be an inside thing for me. Yeah. Or you're just going to be like, you know, did you play Earthbound, you fucking nerd? <laughs> <laughs> Oh man. Anything else uh, any other story beats or anything you want to uh want to talk about? Man, I have no idea. <laughs> um I, I yeah, I don't know. I don't know, man. All right. Well, uh <laughs> I'm, then I'm, we can I'm call done. it we can just call it here then. Uh it has cool. been Oh man. It's uh it's been a long one, but uh oh it, it was a a good time, man. Talking Earthbound. I think it deserves the the amount of time that we spent talking about it honestly. Yeah, it's uh it's weird. I would like to say that there's a uh, a correlation between games and like how much discussion they deserve with how long Tales from the Backlog episodes are. It doesn't always turn out this way, but you know, if we've talked for this long, it's because we had this many things to say, this many things to talk about. So right, right, yeah, it's been a good time, Keith. Thanks for coming on the show. Uh, Earthbound is, you know, a game that, like I said before, I'm not sure. I wouldn't recommend this game to everybody, but there are a lot of cool things in here, a lot of unique things that obviously I couldn't mention before the spoiler wall. But uh, a lot of the things we've mentioned in the spoiler section are cool to dive into, and things you might not expect from um, maybe the first few hours of the game for sure. Yeah, for I mean, first of all, I really appreciate you having me on. Uh this is a long time coming. I've been listening to you for, for a while now and um every podcast, it again, kinda like what you said, there are some 
and I've already told you this off air, but there are some episodes where it's like, I'll go to your podcast and be like, oh, I can't listen to that because I intend on playing that. But right. for the most part, if there's a game where I'm just like, I have no reason to play this ever and I don't know what this is, I just, I listen to it because it's usually just a really good conversation. I'm not looking for validation for my taste in video games anyway, so no matter what you guys say, it doesn't matter to me just as long as it's right. really good to listen to. And that's just a lot of, it's just the kind of podcast I'm always looking for and you deliver constantly all the time. And I'm just very happy that you would allow me to, and I knew coming on this that I would have to probably defend Earthbound, <laughs> but also I definitely see where you're coming from having played it for the first time and everything. Um, yeah, that's some, what I some hope. things just can't be defended, <laughs> like a terrible inventory system. That's yeah. That I mean that the inventory system's indefensible, and like at least I hope that you know I always hope that if I am saying that something in a game is bad or that I didn't enjoy something, that I explain myself in a way where even if you disagree, if you like the combat in Earthbound, you understand why I don't like it, and you know right. I, I did a good job of explaining myself. That's what I hope. But yeah, no, I just. Thanks for having me on, dude. I, I really appreciate it. Yeah, you uh, you have an open invitation. Uh, anytime you want to come on and talk about a game, uh, happy to have you back. And again, everyone listening, if you've made it this far, go get a glass of water. You've earned it. Or a beer. <laughs> you've earned a beer after, after this one. Or maybe a, a hot cup of psychedelic tea. Yes, uh, you you have earned a uh, a psychedelic journey uh, from a cup of tea. That's another thing we didn't mention, but those were a trip <laughs> throughout the <laughs> yeah. game. Yeah. <laughs> but anyway, dude, um, open invitation anytime you want to come back. People out there, you should check out the main quest. It's very, very good. And uh, yeah, join us next time uh, with me and my next guest for the next game that comes out of the backlog.